Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It's Thursday, October... <laughs> it's Friday, October 29th, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 355. I'm your host, Rob and joining me today, we have Patrick Klepek. I'm here, and I'm ready to go. Ricardo Contreras. Oh, fuck. This, that's just the energy that today is exuding all day for me. Chaos. And the Mookie Bats of games journalism herself, Gita Jackson. Hello, I'm Gita. Congratulations to the Dodgers, and also I'm sorry to the Dodgers who all traded by Go Media. (laughs) (laughs) David got a tweet yesterday that was like the only World Series to end with a freeze frame explaining how all of them will die. Oh. Do you want to explain that for people who are not following the emotional whiplash of the end of the World oh Series last night? Last night was like, I actually, so I would come from a, being a baseball hater to watching this World Series just wrapped with attention. And I, I, this World Series was like some of the best baseball I've ever seen played, some incredible comebacks, a ridiculous amount of homers, like really, really exciting stuff. And after a very long struggle, the Dodgers, after 32 years, finally won the title and like just slipped in right after the news of the win <laughs> like right just kind of sneaked on in in there the the recap of the people you know the fox news anchor just went well by the way justin turner who has hit like an unbelievable amount of like really good runs really essential runs and like played some great demons uh justin turner he uh, tested positive for COVID 19 was pulled from the game during the game anyway back to our celebration everyone's hugging and kissing and <laughs> Like what? And then then he comes back out, right? Or at least he joined the team for the party. He was, yeah. Like he sent he sent a tweet that said because everyone was like, "Oh, that's such a bummer. He can't be out there celebrating. Can't see the trophy." And he sent a tweet that was like, "Thanks for everyone's like well wishes and like thoughts. Um, you know, so proud of the team and like you know, kind of it is what it is." And then people started like doing screen captures like. That motherfucker is out there, and he's doing <laughs> he is, he's doing the, he's doing the thing where yo that mask doesn't count if it's not over your nose, my friend. Like <laughs> I was in the bed, like just having brushed my teeth. Like oh, David will watch out the whole thing with the team. He's like he was, you know, like a couple only like a couple years old last time they won, and. Uh, <laughs> I'm in the bed, and David just goes, so uh, Justin Turner's on the field. He's not He's not wearing a mask or anything. He took it off and, was, and was standing what? next to, I believe, like the, the, the manager of the Dodgers, like, like had cancer at one point, which means oh, no. especially high risk for that fucking virus. Oh, this fucking uh, remake Albert of the Pinenko. same, like, really fucking grim all of a sudden. 
Oh my god! Yeah, Albert Bodega <laughs> over at Defector had a very good blog about the true villain in the scenario is the the league for not ever enforcing any kind of rules about COVID nineteen and allowing players to bullshit them <sighs> the entire way through. Um, but also, man, you know exactly what this disease does <laughs> and how <laughs> it is spread, and you just at least wear a mask, man. Preferably just gotta don't give a go shit. outside. And unfortunately, Justin Turner wanted to be the top model meme uh, where he just oh comes God. back out onto the, uh, onto the field. <laughs> hey, you may have, you may have thought I've been dismissed because of COVID, uh, but it's your boy. Oh, All right. wow. Anyway, uh, speaking, of things, speaking of things, uh, sort of surprising us as they come through the door, we now have our hands on the PlayStation 5. Uh, we can't talk about very much, but we can talk about the physical fact of the object. Oh, my God. <laughs> what do we think about the physical fact of the PS5, the Rob, irrefutable Rob, fact of it Rob, being Rob in and I have hashed this out to some degree in an, in an email thread that I need to format for our website. But, Gita, you had some choice commentary on Listen, having any, gotten a, a PlayStation into into your home. Any Giorgio O'Keefe fans here? Anybody with a really... <laughs> You asking in this room? Are you like just like wider? Just in uh, the world, you know, you guys are all going to be really happy. During the World Series, uh, I had just got finished playing game, and uh, I was just looking, just looking at this thing. We've got it set up on its side because it just doesn't fit anywhere near our television uh, vertically, and it's also <laughs> on its own special little table right now because it doesn't fit Aww. inside of the credit, like the little bookshelf we're using as a credenza. And just during the World Series, we were watching a pirated stream, so we didn't have to see commercials. And uh, Rob just knowingly Fair. nodding. Yeah, he knows. And uh, <laughs> David, at a certain point, just goes, man, it's really fucking big. That thing is enormous. And I'm like, yeah. It's yeah. clearly the largest thing even like in that room that we actively use like next to the television. It is it did not only that, but like it straight up does just look like an enormous vagina. Like it really does. The fluting, the fluting around <laughs> the console is a yonic, a very yonic in uh -huh. shape, I would say. Yeah, it's I understand why like it's got to vent out the air, and I'm sure that is like conducive to like out, you know, like That's just, it, uh... you can hear it, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> I yeah, like, you so gotta make sure things aren't getting musty down there. Like <laughs> Are they compensating anyway. for the inevitable roaches this time They're around? They're compensating or? for quite a bit, Kato. <laughs> Wait, to complete your thought. It's a wet-ass PlayStation. God damn it. Moon, moon's wet. PlayStation. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, hmm. shit. Oh, boy. It's, 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 it's weird because like, it is objectively... Enormous, right? Like it is just it's, like if you were to, to measure it, and you put it large. You put it next to things. It's big, but then the design of it like exasperates that yes. even yeah. more, right? Like yes. if it was if it was physically smaller, literally we just shrink rate it, like you know, like it was a, you know a third smaller, it would still seem big yeah. relative to other things because. And this is like something Rob and I get into in our exchange of like it like demands you to look at him like look at me motherfucker I'm weird I yeah it's white up? and I'm not ready black to party. like the, yeah like like the rest of the things around my television 
it is not the same color, which is black. It is white. We have it actually set up next to the PS4 Slim that is David's. And you can like, when those two things are next to each other, it's like just laughable how big it is. And we noticed last night also, you know, um, on the sort of, uh, um, I'll be serious, on the sort of black part on the inside where it's the mm-hmm. little curve where the light is. Mm-hmm. It's at the exact angle that it looks like it's opening up and like looking at you. It's really weird. You know, it's like, like the curvature. It's like it looks like it's, like it's permanently like, got a sun glint or like something mm. is poking up from the inside. It's really like it's designed so that you will never stop looking at that physical object. And it's the weirdest shaped thing in the world. I also had to shoo my cat away from it because I'm sincerely afraid it will kill her. It's so heavy. <laughs> isn't the the blades like come off, right? Like, isn't that the whole thing in the future where like you, you like you can like you be able to like customize the well, not really the. Aesthetic, but I don't know. But, but do you still you need change the colors? Do you need huh? blades? Yeah. yeah. Can you just yeah, that's, take those fuckers off and leave them off? I don't know. That would be tight. I would love that. <laughs> I, we posted a, a video. Presumably, if you can change them, then there's nothing like materially required by them but i don't that's everything but well, if it's meant to say but if them is part of how it balances and stands then it might need blades to be like stable i'm, I'm I, I mostly assume that it's partially required for like directing airflow yeah so like maybe if that's you take them thinking. off they're gonna be like just exposed fans which might not be good for dust purposes but that's what i'm curious about is whether or not They'll serve Man, a physical cool. function other than looking well, it, wild. Especially on the PS4 Pro specifically. <laughs> don't even. Just cleaning this thing. I'm just thinking about like how much of a pain in the ass it's going to be. You know. Well, so, and that, so like the PS4 Pro is like kind of a pain to clean, and it that that machine is loud on its own, and then over time as it collects dust, it turns oh, into boy. like a jet engine, like to the point where with the the Pro, I was I had that one that set up uh, upstairs. Um, uh, and especially when we had our new kid, I was like, I'm not, I don't want to play games downstairs so I can, I don't have to, I don't have to have the camera on all the time to watch her. I can just like hear her crying and I can go take care of it. But mm-hmm. it, I, I, when I was trying to like review Avengers, um, I couldn't turn the, I had to turn the volume up so I could hear the game over the sound of the PS4 Pro or Last of Us uh, 2. Um, but to do that caused such, like the, the volume was such that like the whole house, like my daughter would come out, my wife was like, that's too loud. You got to turn that shit down. Oh my God. And so I had to play with headphones um, because I like, it was just, the ratio was just not going to work out if I was going to play that thing upstairs in our in our place. And the, the I don't know, the PS5, uh, I don't know, can we talk about how loud it is? I don't know. I don't know where that falls on the on the embargo chart. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a embargo. I don't think we can talk about what it's like when it's on. So I think that's, inc- I cannot say anything about <laughs> what it sounds wow. like yet. I believe that is true. I could talk about Astrobot that I've played on it and the controller that I've played on it, but I don't believe I can say anything about how the machine is what it's doing when it's been turned on. Does, when, does anyone have any particular controller thoughts? Does this one feel like Teddy's too or what? Like <laughs> I, I don't have, know. I, I, it actually um, feels like imagine imagine a woman who has titties <laughs> okay. on the front and back. And what could be better? Than, than that shape and that figure. Um, this is, of course, uh, PlayStation. This is for the record. You know, this HR, PlayStation's whole ethos. None of you know. Just I'm just glad they brought it back. They finally that ad promised so much, and I was like, oh when is God. the controller going to feel ad, this? Right? Oh my God! Yeah. yeah. Like who else? 
what? Video games is weird. That's all I really have to say about They're this They're less shit. weird now than they were. That's that's yeah. the weird thing. Uh, I don't know. I do like the controller. It does feel I've come I've come around on it. Um, yeah. I don't like PlayStation controllers historically. I think Rob, Rob and I are on the same pages. I don't know where Gita, where you fall on your controller I, preference. I don't have any real particular like needs for controllers. Uh, I feel like over time, I feel like the X, the, the standard Xbox controller is like the platonic ideal. It's like if you Plato's Cave, you know, imagining what a controller would be like, we'd imagine that controller. But I've used yeah. so many PlayStation controllers that I don't have an issue totally. with them. You know, it's just the the it's really at the end of the day the analog sticks. It's like I prefer them in the placement on the Xbox in my hand versus the PlayStation ones where they're like both down. Like that's it. Like, and it's like, yeah. otherwise yeah. it's sort of like you can throw it in the air. Also, no, I hate the triggers on the PlayStation. Controller. Like there's, I have a lot of problems with, the but not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. Those triggers are cool. I like the, I like the triggers. Uh, I'm only been playing, using them to play one game, but they are, I mean, it's, it really is like, you just know immediately whether or not you like using something for hours at a time, the second it is in your hands. And I put it in my hands. It's like all these buttons press very definitively. And I enjoy that feeling, and therefore I like everything about this controller. <laughs> you know the the variable tension of the triggers, though, like that uh, the, the Astro's that Playroom shows yeah. off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Patrick, you you wrote about um, how stimulating you find Astro's Playroom uh, and the, the various haptic uh, features of of the controllers. Yeah, Astro's and I was Playroom. Like, it's it's a it's a tech demo for the like the dual sense like there's a, like as a pack in it's like it's that's what it's there for is to sort of like demonstrate like here are the weird things you can do on this controller you know turns out it can do a lot though like I yeah. like I I was surprised how satisfying the little zipper game was um and it's, it's the way it's the way it and I will be I think Astro's Playroom is setting an extremely high bar the team that developed this that did. Um, Astrobot for the PlayStation VR uh, last year or the year before. I forget which year, but it's one of the best VR experiences I've ever had. It's one that so clearly sat down and thought, like, how would this tech benefit this platform we want to make? It's not just VR on top of it. It is how how do we use this technology um, in the, the most clever and interesting ways possible? And so it doesn't shock me that that same team being tasked with, hey, do this for the, the DualSense controller um, they have done like a bunch of really interesting tricks. Uh, that said, it like also wasn't the Xbox One also has like some variable trigger stuff that worked on like Forza and things like that. And just that all that got tossed out the window almost immediately. Mm-hmm. So while there are a lot of really cool things in Astro's Playroom where, you know, like, for example, you'll be walking up into a sandstorm and you will the controller rumbles at a certain degree that feel feels like sand particles are coming through and part of that is because it's combining sensory uh things simultaneously you are getting a slight there are uh, tons of little sound cues you're you're getting the you're getting sound from the tv speaker which is separate from sound in the controller speaker and if you it's it's fascinating to turn off the sound in your tv only listen to the controller and try and experience like what it's communicating specifically just through the controller because it's trying to convey like most of that experience through uh, rumble and sound and touch and I think it does a really effective job to the point where like the TV is like it's kind of just like ambient noise on top of it um, and it's it's like really effective does it make like a game better I, like I don't know but I, it's not hard to imagine story based game like narrative stuff on PS5 that really integrated that doing some cool shit yeah it's um it's just like obviously the kind of stuff that 
developers, third-party paid developers, <clears throat> aren't uh, gonna know what the fuck to do with or necessarily want to care about. You know, it's, well, I, I think it's yeah, too bad. And th- that's gonna be <laughs> it's too that, bad. Yeah, that's gonna be the that's gonna be the question. Is like, does yeah. this set like a road? Like, does it Astro's Playroom act as a roadmap of here are cool things you can do, go wild, or is it? That's neat, Sony. Like mm-hmm. your studios will do that because you're going to ask them to do that because yeah. Yeah. it's a it's a big hardware push. For Naughty Dog's next game, you will be able to feel the breath of life, some like depart someone's body. Uh, <laughs> yes. as you choke them out, Can you imagine uh, cho- yeah, choking set. someone to death? Oh like, my oh. god! Yeah, that's of course the first thing <laughs> that people are going to do: make accurate choking simulators. Like, I mean, yeah, you have to think about uh, adaptive triggers. Like, how many experiences can you simulate with that kind of technology? and squeezing is one and like how many things can you do when you squeeze I don't know we're all gonna be making sandwiches in games now <laughs> squeezing various I mean, condiments well, uh, <laughs> oh my god though that would be what was that little restaurant game that we played uh, Patrick the VR insane? one yes yeah oh what if we were doing that with, ha- with well, the diner do or something something diner like dash? that what, dash? diners drive-ins um, and dives <laughs> <laughs> I mean qu- I mean quite literally it's one of those things that um we don't know if Sony's going to do another VR headset, but if they were to make controllers that had this tech built into each, or you were just to use the DualSense as your controller, like VR in particular would benefit like really greatly from like this sort of like sensory um, additions. But I don't know. Like I'm, I'm pretty, I really like it. I think Astrobot, like in the area that we've played, I like it does a great job of demonstrating like what this could do. But you know, yeah, just like as Gita showed her, you know, rightful, uh, Sort of like skepticism. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is also one of those things where it's like, it's launch. You're excited about it's a new thing. Yeah. And then, you know, it would not be shocking if two years from now, you know, this stuff is limited to like very specific instances and largely is ignored by, you know, like I don't expect Assassin's Creed um, yeah. to like have a ton of this stuff now or in in the future. It reminds me a little bit of HD Rumble from the Switch where you can do these <coughs> yep. really incredible things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, where yeah, like yeah. you can feel something rumbling around inside your Switch and you can like count and identify how many of them in their location. That was super cool. So cool. And no, then it just went away. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody is going to know what to do with that. It's a very cool, nope. extremely specific thing. Well, and part of that was, but I believe, it, uh, I could be wrong on this, but wasn't the HD Rumble only worked when you were holding the Joy-Cons. It didn't yes. function when you were holding it um, in handheld mode. And mm-hmm. everything I understood understand from talking to developers is that, like, everyone plays the Switch in handheld mode. Like, I mean, yes, yeah. it's there. People do use it. They dock that thing. Yeah. But if you were to look at like the broad stats that Nintendo has access to, it's it's a handheld device. And so that just goes away because why would you put the time into supporting something that the vast majority of people are never going to uh, engage with? Yeah. I mean, I like playing these games docked mm-hmm. mode, but uh, it's just like uh, when I'm sitting down at my couch, I would like to use a controller that's like in one piece instead of two pieces that can get lost between the couch cushions, you know? Fair. You know, I, I, I liked, I have really liked holding the Joy-Con, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the siren call of playing Zelda underneath the covers is just too strong. And to actually want to use it as a, as a device that it goes on my television. Rob, Robert, what, Zachney, what the, how are you? What's, what the fuck's going on? You, what? what? Mina. Hit me. Have you Mina heard any happening. little dog noises in the in the background? Have here? yes, yes. 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 you've been barely keeping it together. Yep. <laughs> uh, things have not been going well. Oh no! Um, 
And so I just had to, uh, I had to call in some, some help, uh, w- with the dog. Um, cause she was, she was really trying to pull me out of my chair. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, no, I had my hand you? on my knee yeah. and she was like, she starts with the gentle, like, okay, grab your hand. Come on. I want to show you something. Mm-hmm. And usually if I'm not like, usually she's cool if I don't follow that. But this time she like didn't bite, but she like grabbed hold and was like, no, you come here. Wow. Um, so that was, that was not good. But I, I, I think to the point about like how cool the controller is, I think this is going to be one of the things about this whole console transition. And Patrick, you and I talked about this in our piece a little bit is that these things are supposed to. And at one point, I think maybe, you know, when we were kids, like these things did feel momentous. Like this is here is all the stuff that is new and possible with this new hardware. Uh, but now like the direction of the industry has been for development costs and for a lot of other reasons to make these things as interchangeable as possible uh, from the standpoint of people publishing games, PC, Sony, Microsoft, it's all supposed to basically be agnostic. The game just comes out, goes to all these markets and that does kind of preclude people experimenting with the like increasingly few novel feature systems like this have. And that controller, I've been, I've thought a lot of um, like the six axis stuff has been kind of crap. Um, not that impressive, mm-hmm. not that uh, control wasn't that fine grained. But this controller, like what it appears to be capable of of doing, um, and sort of the feedback it's it's capable of giving, it would be really cool if we lived in a world where development resources would be thrown at a thing like that, or ideas, or ideas that would take advantage of some of those features were were viable uh, in a market like this. But I'm I'm not sure they will be, um, and, and it's perhaps not as severe as uh, the constraints that like VR labors under, but it still seems pretty unlikely that, um, and, and kind of disappointing that like, yeah, probably in a year we're still talking about, man, still haven't found anything that makes that controller feel as good as Astro's playroom. Well, it'll, it'll be the next game from that team, right? Like yeah. I, I expect like there'll be a couple of developers that, you know, do some really neat things with it. Um, and and beyond that, like it's you know, and all the notes I have for like other parts of the game that I've played, like you know, are like specifically related to little controller things that it does. Like there, I don't know how far you're gonna play in this either of you, but there are like certain levels that I would point you towards just checking out to see like look at this cool fucking thing that it does. Like it's this is wild that like this is what they've come up with um, to do with the controller. So. Um, yeah, so it's a controller. It feels good. I, I, I enjoy holding this one more than like the PS4. Um, I probably still prefer like Robin, you were talking like the elite two is probably still like the top tier of like the controllers available. And but the, the one- out of the box controllers, I think this one might be better than what comes out of the, uh, Xbox series X, uh, box. Yeah, hmm. I think that's probably true. Fair so. enough. I mean, I, I'm never too persnickety. <clears throat> I'm sort of the happy I live with what I've got. <laughs> I'm just like, I, I, I just haven't had to play so many video games yet. You know, I have not been in the minds as long as either of you had to have very strong opinions about controllers, I think. But well, it's also, it's also yeah. just like depending on the genres you play, right? Like yeah. I'm like a 
being a platformer person, like I'm like hyper specific about, yes. like I remember when, um, like Mario Maker 2 came out, I was like deeply stressed because I'd become so accustomed. I played hundreds, if not thousands of hours on the Wii U gamepad. That like, that's what my hands knew was yeah. like this gamepad. And so like the notion of like playing it with like Swiss controllers or a pro controller or whatever, it was just like, nah, that's just like, can I just plug the gamepad into my Switch? <laughs> yeah. Because that's like what my hands know. Yeah. Um, and so it, I think it, it, like that's where I only get really specific on it is is one games where like, oh, like I, I'm, I'm particular about this one thing. Otherwise, I am mostly like you. It's like, whatever. Like, yeah, you put could, it in my hands. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll play I'll it. I'll figure it out. I'll um, figure it out. So. Yeah. I feel like there are scenarios in which I can imagine controller preference being, I mean, you know, I have, I've started to delve into the world of mechanical keyboards. So I'm ensured that I'm going to develop some kind of intense preference. It doesn't make any sense at some point in my life. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. M- m- multiple people, um, um, Natalie Watson also, you you know, people Instagram <laughs> and it's like, damn, someone has gone down a rap. They're using terms that I don't know wow. what she is talking about <laughs> wow. um, related to, um, like different keyboard customizations. I'm sure, like if you're in that world, you're like Patrick. Come on, like this is Natalie told us what she plays. Like all games at an unreasonably high DPI that makes her nauseous recently. Oh I'm sorry for this shout out, Kato. You remember this? We were all shouting at her. Yes, <laughs> during She's the a, race. She plays. She plays first person shooters at like 2,500 DPI. I noticed this because I saw her spin around and do a 780 before stopping once. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? And she's like, oh, that was just my sensitivity. Don't worry about it. So yeah, she's just breakdancing in Destiny 2. We're trying to beat that giant robotic shrimp, you know? <laughs> I used to I used to be more that way. Um, but you just lose so much. Like, you can't use sniper weapons for shit no, with those settings. Um, Which is mm-hmm. even worse because she plays Valorant. That way, <laughs> a game that needs a lot. She still does it somehow. She's still pretty good at it. I don't understand having Natalie. That much don't control. listen to this part. Everyone loves playing with you. You're great. You're a great teammate. I'm saying she's good. Your choices are valid, and they she... don't. They do not disadvantage Kato and the other people depending on you at all. Listen, um, I'm saying you more. as a part of the deliberate mistakes, which is what we have called our raid team now. I think, I, yes, I think I think she's currently playing with the weights on, right? One day she'll yeah. like bump down the DPI and oh learn how to God. adjust to that, and it's gonna be fucking amazing. I believe it's gonna be like a uh, Rock Lee, basically. Hundred yeah, percent, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Some Naruto shit about to happen right here. Oh yeah, God. I think if Natalie could hear that we have compared her to Rock Lee, I think she'd be very, very, very pleased with herself. <laughs> uh, anything else we want to cover about the PlayStation? Uh, I'm not sure. There's much left we can talk the about. The one, right? the one like, thing, the one thing I'll say. Um, yeah. This isn't a PlayStation impression. It's more just it. It upsets me. Um, is that I deliberately not upgraded like any television in my house to 4k because i figured if you do one then like the displays are going to start bugging you around the house mm. yeah where it's like ah shit like mm-hmm. you're totally right not 4k that's going that's going to annoy me um and it's because the projector that we have in our, our living room like is i've it's unreasonably expensive it's like you know two thousand dollars to like get what you want for that and it's not like i'm buying fancy oled it's just like that's what you need to get to if you're gonna do the upgrade so i don't want to do that and so i was like well i can't do that why do i want to do the rest of the house well the, you know i thought push came to shove and like this all happened so now i have this 4k tv and i w- was going to capture some footage for uh the article so I like hooked up my capture thing and you know I was going through love and I was like a little 
looks a little funky. Like, I wonder if something's, like, up with my cables. And so I'm, like, playing around with it, plugging things in. And I was like, oh, shit. I think it looks fuzzy because <laughs> I've, I the now know what fork. I, I gotta, I'm sure there's a way I can route 4K through my capture card. I, I, I don't know. But, like, the, the, the long and short of it is Wait, that. Wait, what capture card I, do you I, have? Some razor thing. It um, probably. I don't did, know. I, it might not though, because if it's. It might not. It might not if year. I want to capture yeah. and output to my TV at the same time. I might have to look into getting something <clears throat> new. But like, regardless, the point is like I'd gone so long being like I don't know the difference. You could put them <laughs> side by side and like I mean I remember Austin and I came out of like the first um, Xbox One X like behind closed doors meeting at E3 where they showed us like gears four or whatever at 4k and we both were like man who the fuck cares about that like that just looked like the same same old shit like whatever and then i i was like no i've been now i've been tainted like like, that 1080p that's fuzzy like something's wrong with that tv and then i plugged it in switched it to 4k like ah oh damn i've I've been ruined um yeah yeah I can't afford to change everything else in the house, so what I'm stuck with is just like, well, I guess I just live in this room now to, to do anything. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit like that here, too. I, the TV in the, that we put in the living room is the one I bought a couple of years ago, and the TV in the office that I haven't fully set up is the one that David bought before smart TVs were, like, really oh, a no. thing. Yeah, we have a dumb TV. We have the last remaining dumb TV. Yeah. Yeah, but it's and also the only device in the house that's not, like, harvesting Bitcoin as we yes, speak. Yes, exactly. So. It's not spying on me. So it's, like, it feels kind of useful to continue to have. But uh, it also only has one DM, uh, HDMI slot, and the oh, other wow. one is RGB. It's really, really incredible. Do you remember um, the before time when I came down to New York and Giddy, you were just starting... And you were like, this monitor only takes a DisplayPort cable. And I was like, what's DisplayPort? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I still, I had to, st- I think I stole a monitor from Lorenzo. And then we got kicked out of the office. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Lorenzo, if you listen to this. If we, when I see you in the office in like 2024, uh, I have your monitor. <laughs> if you won't want it then, he'll have gotten a new monitor. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one only does 1080. Yeah. I can't, I can't handle this. Listen, as a cinema studies major, I try to like exclude myself from conversations about TV because I have so many opinions about outport settings. <laughs> Just like so, the amount, the size of screen you would need to have for most of these things to actually make a difference is yeah. so big. You know, yeah. it's so big. And a lot well, of times, even you can that, get away like, and sitting like a foot away from it, which is and not source great. matters so much more. Like yeah. Patrick, like. A 1080 Blu-ray is still going to look so much better than a lot of stuff that's like 4K just because like the source is better. It's just my my guess is your capture card is downscaling uh, and setting that out. And that's why it looks like shit. That actually is probably where you need to fix that that situation. You don't you are not yet cursed, Patrick. You have time. Well, no, I just it's not like being bit by it's like a little bit like a werewolf situation where you got bit by like a, a rabid 4K television. <laughs> no, every full moon. Well, no, because then what? What if I when I bring this? If I you know decide to like bring the machine upstairs and play it up on that 1080 garbage like wow. upstairs? Like I don't you know I don't know. We'll just have to. Well, back we'll in my see. day, we lived with <laughs> 720 pixels, and we were happy with it. I had a 720p TV for so long, and I was like, 
as you do when your options are limited, you convince yep. yourself this is the best thing possible. It's like 1080 is dumb. Yeah. I wouldn't. Look at these well, chumps. How much bigger? How, like, think about it. Like, ugh. Yeah. God, you know, well, come on. I've looked at the chart. a lot of peas. <laughs> not that many peas. <laughs> no I've human could got... observe the difference between these two resolutions. I think I'm just, I feel, I've hacked the system. Big TV <laughs> wants you to buy uh, higher <laughs> resolutions, but I don't. And, you know, if I sit close to this 27-inch TV, it's a big screen to me. <laughs> 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 this is how Tenet was meant to be seen. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> Christopher Nolan just jumps through the window behind you and chokes you out. <laughs> We're here. Have you seen this? Well, this I, like a, du- a dual, uh, a digital Christopher Nolan does it with his, you know, you can feel it through the dual sense. Oh, like, yes, of course. Slowly like, takes being the- strangled. Yeah, there's this incredible documentary that is produced by Keanu Reeves called Side by Side about the... If you're interested in this, it's fascinating. The history of uh, video as a format, digital video as a format, uh, and how it has changed filmmaking. And it has a lot of interviews with a lot of current working filmmakers, including Christopher Nolan, who gets legitimately angry that people are making movies on video. Like he gets like you can see Keanu Reeves in this interview segment kind of goad him a little bit and be like, come on, man, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And Chris Nolan like starts like yelling a little bit. He's like <laughs> he calls it an inferior format. Like if you knew that there are people out there making movies in an inferior format, wouldn't you be angry? And I'm like, man, <laughs> chill. How uptight do you have to be before, like, National Treasure Keanu Reeves begins deliberately fucking with you uh, in, in an interview? Uh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. It's, I, that's a great movie. It includes a lot of history that I didn't really know about, specifically when video was became me. Anyway, this is me. I'm a cinema studies major, and I can't, you can't get that out of my brain. But that's let's it. go to some other history you know. Uh, I guess the more current events. Yes. Uh, Sims expansion. Oh my god! What so, is new in the world of the Sims? I got do they, a all, do they have new guys. consoles? Uh, yeah, they all have new consoles, <laughs> and the, the new Sim interactions that you can have are uh, just talking about the consoles and then getting into fights about which console you want and which console you have, and uh, then talking about controllers. Uh, no, this, this new expansion is called Snowy Escape. And it's a lot. It's like there's a lot going on. I feel like this is one of the best expansions they've ever made for reasons that I did not anticipate, actually. Uh, when this was first announced, I was like, ho-hum, snowy escape, who cares? It's, uh, I've explained to you a little bit about the hierarchy, but I'll do it for the benefit of listeners of, uh, of DLC in the same. So there's expansion packs, game packs, and stuff packs. Expansion packs are the biggest and largest and have the most additional features and often come alongside a free update that gives some of those features for free to all players, sort of improving the base game over a period of time. Um, this expansion pack includes a whole new world that your Sims can live in, as well as a a, a, a vacation world, which is a, a world where your Sims can rent a space in and stay in for a period of days. This is the first time in The Sims 4 that they've combined those two mechanics. Like, a, a, you can have a, you, you could have uh, Sims and send them to these vacation worlds before, but you could never live in them before. So this one is based off of like a rural Japanese like mountain town, like winter sports town. And it's uh, Mount Kora, Koramabi is what it's called. 
Um, and so it combines like modern Japanese culture, traditional Japanese culture, and like the culture of like rural Japanese towns where they have onsen and, you know, our holiday towns as well. And it, it's just got a lot. You know, you hear it and you think snowy, snowy escape. Oh, that's like a winter vacation pack. Why wasn't that included in seasons? But when you start playing it and the depth of this game just like really, really reveals itself to you. It's amazing. Um, one of the things I was actually most impressed by, I didn't even get a chance to dig around in it very much, but they've added like this new, like, like an actually very video gamey in a very traditional sense thing into this. It's a, a mountain excursion. So you can have your Sims train in rock climbing and buy supplies and stuff and then scale an entire mountain. And that is going to be like a little bit different for every single player that does it based on like RNG stuff, but also like the level skill that you have. And like you can... When you read about it, you know, the game will do things like encourage you. It says straight up, you need to have level six in the rock climbing skill or else this is going to go really shitty for you. And, um, <laughs> you know, like you have to pack food, like think about strategize what you want to have in your in your bag. That's interesting. Yeah. And like you you the goal is try to make it to the summit. You know, it, it says straight up, there will be no food on the trail. You won't be finding any food or any like merchants that will sell it to you. You have to pack that off. Is this the first real outdoor recreation shit that The Sims no, has? Like, they've okay. had a couple others there. They've had a stuff pack <clears throat> that was just fitness stuff that included a rock climbing wall. So yeah. rock climbing used to, it was just kind of nested in within the fitness skill though. There was not a specific rock climbing skill. Um, and then they've also had another... What their very first vacation world was a camping world. So that was like an outdoor sport, outdoor excursion experience. This is like, I think, maybe the most focused on the sports aspect. Like you can also do hikes and stuff, which is very fun. I played this a little bit after doing some real life hikes in nature. And um, I really enjoyed the hiking aspect. But this is the first, maybe this is the, this is the first thing. Like, it goes all in on this concept of, of outdoor exploration. And like having things where uh, Sims are gated in terms of their ability to reach places based on their skill level. This is, um, it's, it's usually when they, you are a lot, can send your Sim out in the world to have an adventure. You are doing a, like a, a little choose your own adventure thing with pop-ups. Like they go off into a rabbit hole and then eventually you'll see a pop-up and, you, and you'll uh, have to do a, make a choice on what your Sim would do. And sometimes that choice uses items, but you're not physically there and directing them. Here you're physically there. And uh, that was really fucking cool. It was really, really cool. <laughs> that's not even the thing I'm most excited about, though. Like, the thing I'm most excited about is something that's added in a free update, which um, just makes the game, like, like high, like, actually low-key, very Dwarf Fortressy. They've added, like, a memory system, finally. Um, and they've added, you, you, when Sims spend time with each other now, they will gain emotional sentiments related to how they spend time with each other. And that will give them a moodlet when they're around each other Sims, you know, that will change how they feel. So, um, it's really like I started, um, trying to do like significant things in certain places to see whether or not that would give my Sims very particular moodlets. So I had the Sim and I took them on vacation to Mount Kormabi and I had them go to the onsen. And then I had my Sim propose to this other Sim in the onsen, in the snow. And it gave them a sentiment that sort of fell in love in a winter, like a, a snowy wonderland. So now when they're in snowy weather with each other, they get like a warmed by their love, like little moodlet. Um, and then I, I had another couple of Sims 
um, get together, just eat hot pot one day for dinner and just hang out at her house. And they all gain the sentiment from having a nice time doing that, like brought to get brought closer by hot pot. And then whenever, you know, those sims are around each other, all three of them will get a moodlet reminding them of the good time they had together eating hot pot. It also goes in the reverse. So you'll get sentiments for having particularly bad times. I haven't had a bad time yet, so I don't know <laughs> what those are like. I'm just, you know, uh, trying just to make fine. sure my sims have nice times. Yeah. Um, but that also in turn will lead to the development of lifestyles. So now when your sim does a certain certain behaviors repeatedly, they can develop lifestyles that will give them, again, different kinds of moodlets for doing that, doing those kinds of things and will drive their just like autonomous behavior and what makes them feel good or bad. So I got the close net close knit lifestyle because I had a really tight group of friends, like only three friends where the four of us were just a really tight crew. But I also got the adrenaline seeker um, lifestyle for really wanting to get like uh, really good break sims. Yeah, you can you can make <laughs> I accidentally this character has been living her life like point break. It seems like a little bit where she only wants to do extreme sports with her friends, her like two or three close friends. Yeah, it's. It, it, it's um, it's a great because it not it, it the game now reflects back on you the what you have your Sims doing in a way that it's never done before. They've had a memory system before, but it's never worked like this where the memories aren't just for the benefit of the player. They're now really the for the the all of the Sims and the Sims like on their own will have sentiments about each other and have their own lifestyles, things that you didn't direct. It's the way that it takes control away from you in the most satisfying way. I'm just astounded. It rocks. So uh, sentiments will be free. Of course, there'll be exclusive sentiments for particular packs um, that, you know, you'll have to buy the pack in order to get that sentiment because you can't do that behavior unless you're doing that, blah, 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 blah. But it's... Ah, ah, you know, like it really just amazes me how... They keep adding things to this game that make it more and more complex in ways that feel totally natural. Like, this is the first time that I've seen a game that is this mainstream do the kinds of things that it is doing in terms of long-term development of characters. Uh, I want to go back rocks. real quick to one thing you were talking about, um, like just going for hikes. And... Mm-hmm. Um, it's a beautiful autumn, so I've also been sort of trying to get out there a little bit more. And it's a weird thing because that experience is tough to communicate in the game, right? Because it is so experiential when you are physically out there in a forest, you know, wandering around, crunch of leaves, etc. It's all, it's it's all very sensory. Uh, and probably the only game I've I've really come across prior to this that like comes anywhere close to evoking sort of the pleasure of being out in nature is um, the Hunter. Uh, and one of the ways it does that is because you have to be paying close attention to your environment. Like you're always listening for the rustle of branches because like that could be a deer or a turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're always paying attention to like the biome you're in because, you know, certain types of creatures live in these places and avoid others. But yeah. Because you have all those hooks, you end up enjoying a lot of what's in there to evoke the pleasure of being out in nature. Uh, but without that stuff, I've always sort of thought it runs the risk of being a little bit boring. Like your character just walks through a forest. Is that fun? Is that interesting? I don't know. Uh, I'm curious, like, how does The Sims handle this? Like, how does it 
like how is a hike a cool thing to do as a uh, sim? Well, it reflects the modernity of what hiking is now um, in a way that can feel frivolous. But I, I really appreciate it after having gone on like a, a really nice hike up a mountain to see a beautiful waterfall. Um, is that it instead it doesn't have like a substantive amount of stuff to do while you are moving from place to place, but the it has like preset places where your sims will pause and like have a conversation with each other so that they're you know you can see them socializing and becoming closer on the hike. Um, okay. or they'll take selfies in certain locations. Sometimes I had one hike where they paused and one character was attacked by hornets but she happened to have some anti-hornet spray in her bag so she was able to spray them away which i thought was a neat little touch like there's a chance of that happening and the the places you can hike to also will have something that for you to do in that area this being a japanese themed pack you can also run into like forest spirits in kodama on on your hikes which will add which add a little bit more randomness to your gameplay so you'll want to be watching them very closely as they go on these hikes but it's more about replicating like a very modern experience of going on a hike with technology Mm -hmm. as a social activity um which has now you know become you know when we went on the hike me and dave we, we took pictures of literally everything of course uh, and we took pictures of ourselves once we reached the place we wanted to go. You know, we took pictures of the people who had written on the bridge, you know. Um, it, it was a it's it it just feels very, very accurate, very like on the nose of how people live life, which is always very satisfying to see replicated and reflected back to you. Awesome. Uh, so that is The Sims for Snowy Escape. Uh, yeah, I think it's a uh, time of year. It, it's really, really wonderful. There was some backlash too when it was first announced because people were like, I, I don't understand why it's like things that you are describing in here, like snowboarding were not just included in Seasons. Seasons is the pack that added Seasons to the game, as you might have guessed. I don't know if that was at all <laughs> obvious. <laughs> but uh, it, it's been interesting to see how the team has tried to manage expectations. Simmers are a lot like, people who like really like boy bands and that they really want news and they're very angry at any news they get, regardless of what it is. Um, and it's, it's interesting because you don't, you wouldn't know how much of the pack is enhanced by these, the new update that will include sentiments, but going now, like going on a hike with your friends, like you, you understand that that will change, like materially change your sim and change the way they relate to the world. And like that is exciting. That is like a, a really exciting place, like ground for this series to break. And I'm fucking psyched to see where this game goes from here. Sims 4, not a cell phone in sight, just pure vibes. Uh, <laughs> go go climb that mountain in Snowy Escape. Uh, I think we're going to take a break here and throw to a commercial. And then... Uh, when we come back, we are going to have Austin Walker and Matthew Galt talking about Watchdogs Legion. Uh, so stick around. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. 
As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. All right, and we're back for the second half of our show. Uh, today, we are going to be getting into Watch Dogs Legion, and to help us do that, we've got Austin Walker, who reviewed the game for us and was up late uh, polishing that that review. And was that a first draft? That was a first draft. Well, yeah, it's disgusting. Uh, it's com- it's it's you know okay. So two things. One is I take a lot of notes, and so sometimes I'll have a note that is just I'm like taking a note. I'm like I'm just going to write these three paragraphs right now, and then that is an effect a draft of those paragraphs that then gets polished and recut before submission. You know, as a, as a okay, that's a good body. process. I like that. I like that process because sometimes you'll get a fra- you'll get a phrase, you get a phrase, you get a paragraph, you get a paragraph, you get a section, right? Um, uh, and other times I have notes that are just nothing, right? Other if we can get notes- a section, we can have a we can have a chapter, and if we can have a section, <laughs> if we can have a chapter, we can have a take, and if we can have a take, we can have a website, and if we can have a website, we can make Pete Buttigieg the new editor of <laughs> Waypoint. <laughs> Quo vadimus. It means where are we going? <laughs> Um, uh, we are no. also joined by Matthew Galt, uh, our friend from Motherboard, and who also played this uh, played through this game this week. Hello, hello. Uh, I think I enjoyed it even less than Austin did. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's that's no. That sounds right. That from our from our discussion, that seems right. Uh, so I want to just start off with some of the premise of this game. We've talked through it before, but one of the things that you called out, Austin, uh, was that in the past, I think a lot of Ubisoft games have been very both sidesy in terms yeah. of like their political settings. And I think one of the things that I was sort of wringing my hands over from the beginning of this is the premise of Watch Dogs seemed like a thing that it could try to both sides uh, authoritarian creep. Uh, into the body politic and so like how does what is the setup for watchdogs and sure. what kind of political leanings does it betray as it establishes its setting so you know i think watchdogs legion starts in a near future england as it is today um you know which is to say uh one in which conservative powers have shifted the discourse and the kind of political realm of possibility such um that public services are being defunded uh, that, uh, you know, immigration has become uh, a nightmare uh, and, and deportations are high and that there is a sort of uh, a threat of nationalism growing already. And all of that is then heightened within the first 20 minutes of the game uh, when a group called DeadSec is framed um, uh, by a mysterious hacker or, or hacker collective, you're not clear, called Zero Day. Uh, for a terrorist bombing, um, you know, in not as many words, it's it's as if uh, someone someone <laughs> framed Antifa for blowing up a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, I, DeadSec is more organized, probably as an individual organization than Antifa is. Um, but you know what I'm saying, right? Um, and and from there, uh, the game spins you forward into a world in which a lot of the current 
uh, kind of conservative movements in the UK and in the West gain additional power. Regulations uh, for big tech companies are are slackened even more. Um, you know the the cops who you know the game in some points already talks about being somewhat corrupt. Probably goes a little softer there than I would. Um, uh, are replaced by a completely corrupt uh, private military organization called Albion, which is headed up by like. Tony Stark, like what if Tony Stark was actually the way he should be, which is to say uh, a cruel asshole who loves to invest billions of dollars into military technology for his private use and to police the world. Um, uh, and then and and likewise, um, you know, you kind of have the growth of a, a deeply anxious um, kind of, a, you know, imperial grandchild of a national uh, intelligence service. Uh, that gets kind of like buffed up by all of this. Basically, MI6, MI5, uh, all the other British, uh, uh, you know, uh, intelligence services get rolled up into a new thing called signals, intelligence and response or something like that. It's signals, interception and response, SIRS. Um, uh, and these end up being your kind of big, uh, uh, enemies throughout the game. Um, and from that point forward, you know, London is, is what the game calls quote unquote oppressed. It's, it's like six different regions or six different neighborhoods. All of them are oppressed, quote unquote. You'll see Albion, the PMC, you know, harassing people in the streets, arresting people for nothing. Uh, you'll hear people, you know, uh, kind of demeaning, uh, uh, the people in charge throughout the streets. Uh, in general, you'll, you'll, you've come into a world that is a lot like ours, but, um, a little bit more technologically advanced, uh, and where all of the current, um, you know, problems are exacerbated. Matthew, I wanted to actually talk to you a little bit about this, just from the setting standpoint. All of this is kind of uh, our beat over at Motherboard as well, right? The the sort of expansion of the surveillance state, the yeah. increasing crossover of privatized security services and surveillance and state power and state resources. And did this game strike you as, I guess the, my, my question is twofold. Uh, was this sort of premise, did it seem like it was handling it intelligently or well? And two, um, is Watch Dogs painting a dystopia that effectively already exists, that, that already exists in reality and has already happened as if it's a speculative work of fiction? That's one of the things that really struck me right out the box is um, as a tech reporter on this beat that kind of lives in this world and knows, you know, what things may look like in five or 10 years. Um, this game was real depressing um, <laughs> because it's like I, what you're seeing is the logical end state of a lot of the tech that we're talking about right now. Drones are flying through the sky. Uh, pictures are being taken of everyone constantly. Um, the the Tony Stark-esque villain, uh, leader of Albion, his goal is, um, or his immediate goal when you first meet him, meet him is to get drones into the sky that are algorithmically gunning down uh, criminals before they are able to commit crimes. Um, and looking through, uh, you know, knowing what I know about like DOD and uh, AI and what we're looking at, um, this is stuff we're talking about now. Um, this is all <laughs> this is all tech that is, um, if not already here, will be here very soon. And I think one of the reasons the game depressed me so much, uh, and maybe it changes a little bit later. And Austin, you can you can speak to that, but. From what I saw, DeadSec was not terribly interested in overthrowing the technology per se, as much as wrangling it and taking it over for itself. 
There are a handful. So there's one clear decision in the game, mm-hmm. um, the only one of, of its sort in the whole game, where you have to make <clears throat> a call as to whether or not to destroy a piece of technology or keep it. I'm very curious what happens if you keep it, because I absolutely destroyed it. Though I will say, um, we haven't brought up the kind of big selling point of this game yet, the right. play-as-anyone system. But, but in this game, briefly, you pick a character uh, at the beginning from a list of, like, 15 procedurally generated ones. And then the rest of the characters you pick, because you play as <clears throat> not just a single protagonist, but a team of them, uh, are all proc-gen people in the world of London. Um, and, and while the game doesn't prompt you to make like role playing decisions with these characters, I felt kind of compelled to one, cause I'm Austin, you know, this is how I play the game, these games, if you listen to Waypoint Radio. Um, but because I think the, the game did a pretty good job of communicating who, what types of people they, they are based on their factoids, the voice acting, stuff like that. So like Everett White, my first character who was a doctor from Bermuda, um, and is like a 57-year-old dude who like, you know, donates time to a children's hospital. I don't see him gunning people down, right? Um, but when I got to this one choice about uh, taking over this piece of technology that comes at the end of the Bloom um, quest line, I don't know if you've gotten to that, the stuff with Sky Larson and uh, who's this big media personality, but also this big like inventor. Kind of like um, an Elon Musk stand-in. She's she's like an Elon, she's like an, an Elon Musk who's like been better media trained. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, Elon Musk, if, if, uh, if he knew how to give TED Talks, right? It's Grimes um, and Elon Musk combined. Almost. Yes, it is. That's who it is. Yeah, and and Kurzweil, right? Because that's yeah. the, the big thing with her with her arc. In fact, also the big thing with uh, multiple people. This is a game about parents and a game about children and both literally and figuratively um, wanting to fix their parents by ways of technology. Like and culturally, that is like the through. Also, one of those parents is England, right? Yeah. And and so that's, again, it's that, that's like, like one of the three lines. I received trauma too. Like Received trauma, yeah. yes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get to this point, and I was playing at the time as this dude who I'd recruited named Frankie Garcia, who was a SIRS officer. He was he was like, you know, an MI6 guy, basically, who I'd recruited because I thought his fashion looked good and I needed a cop to get into a place more easily, and that's this fucking game. Um, and um, I thought, you know what? Would this guy keep the tech? And then I remembered that his recruitment mission revealed – that he was like a left wing pizza gator. He was like a he was like a like a Russia conspiracy. Th- no, not even not Russia Gate. He was like there is a conservative conspiracy to steal people and take them into the hollow earth. I that that is what I believe. I need you to stop this. And I'm like, that's not it's like the alligators are down there. And I'm like, oh, okay, bud, I'm gonna look into it for you. And of course, what it was was like some sort of, um, you know, uh, uh. uh human trafficking ring and he's like no 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 i think you probably missed that but good job breaking that hum- that that up at least uh i'll work with you from now on so i was like you know what i think this guy i slept on this i was like would this guy keep this super tech that's evil very clearly evil or would he be like s- not actually woke but conspiracy theory woke enough where he's like, I'm going to turn this all down. This is clearly connected to my weird hollow earth belief. Uh, and so I was like, all right. So, so there's a space to kind of role play in this game around some of those big tech decisions um, or around that specific one. But there isn't um, to, to your point. I don't know that the game necessarily thinks. I think that the game walks around the question of whether or not the tech 
is innately bad or if there was a line that you could possibly cross. I think it does think that that line exists, um, but I think that it's what's more upsetting to it is the ways in which people turn towards technology in order to solve problems that technology cannot fix. That, I think, is much more its, its kind of – uh, core thesis or its, its kind of political position is that like the only way you fix the question of crime is through sociological, uh, uh, fixes by giving people resources, by addressing the root cause of crime. You cannot build a drone so good it stops crime. You can only build a drone so good it kills people before they do it. And that isn't actually a fix, you know? Right. And within the world of the game, the best way for DedSec to fight these fights and take on these people is to use the technology. Yes. I mean, right out of the box, uh, is it is it Bigby is the name of the 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 demon ba- AI? Bagley. No, Bagley. no, that's the that's your AI. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Uh, but there's a I think it's called Bigby is the one that's run by the city of London. That is, it's like Alexa, but it runs the city. And so, no, that's also Bagley. That's the thing. They have what different, you have is a special Bagley that has been. I'm pretty sure that has been pulled off that that grid. I I promise you. I think they're different names because this is a big is, plot point at the end of okay. the game. No, I know it's the same. I know it's the same AI, but I think they just. I okay. thought they had just named it something different. But yeah, hmm, but I think okay. that that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like the person giving you missions throughout the game is this AI. That's yes. the thing that's running you and that's in charge. Uh, and another yep. line that stuck in my head that was towards the beginning when you're first learning like how to hack drones and use them properly, um, Bagley says to you, uh, you know, what's bad for society is good for DedSec. And it just kept reverberating in my brain as I played the game. Monetize the rot. Yeah, exactly. Totally, Monetize the totally. rot. Yeah. Um, I, I, the thing is, what I will say is with the full context of the game, the, the decisions in the final act – like the the narrative decisions that that DeadSec makes do go the other way on this. Okay. Um, this is this is, but but there is also at that point another antagonist who is revealed, um, who I don't want to get into their motivation exactly, but it's it it's a thing that I alluded to a few episodes ago, which is this is going to be the game that says here is an antagonist who thinks they have the right of it. Um, who themselves are issuing a critique but go too far, right? It's it's that classic thing where it's like you know. Over here are, you know, in the middle is DedSec. On the right is the is the the arch conservatives. And on the left is this person who who, you know, um again, I, I it's like it's the game hasn't even fucking come out yet, so I don't want to get into spoilers, but it does do the thing that these games that this sort sort of storytelling always does is like right, but you know, that person has the right of it, but they go too far. Right. Right. So it, it absolutely falls into that trap, but I don't think that by the end of this game. You have you you could say about DedSec that they would choose to keep the technology over saving you know over preventing it from being uh, uh, spread throughout society or something like that you know okay the whole game is you using that stuff right like I mean that's always been Watchdogs you oh no this company rolled out this thing that just you know completely obliterates privacy let's use it to fight the system that completely obliterates privacy it is a very turn the master's tools against him type of game or or that's part of its its pitch at this point but i but i i do think that in those narrative beats and also just the way the game frames the world and the way it talks about things like you know people yelling you know we need homes not austerity outside there's an entire side plot uh, or not side plot but side quest that you get towards the end of the game that is about driving around london taking pictures of empty mansions um, uh, and digging into the fact that they're all owned by this by these like rich shell companies that are just sitting on the property 
uh, for nothing and not letting homeless people like have homes, uh, which is obviously a big recurring thing we've had lots of discussions about in the w- real world for years. Um, this is a game that like, if you play as a cop and walk around, people call you a fucking fascist. Um, to your face, which is, which is like, I did not expect that at all. I expected like, good day, officer. You know, that's sort of very, Real pay you know. super, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. And instead they're like, you know, fuck off, fascist pig. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I will fuck off. Be good. Um, and, and in general, the game does like, it does not shy away from the fact that it's, that it thinks this setup is both an extension of today's setup and is fucking bad. Um, which surprised me a lot given Ubisoft's like, you know, weird, uh, refusal to even say that their games have a politics. Um, and instead to dance around it and say things like, well, of course games are political, but we like to present a world of differing ideas and like, yeah, okay, no, this, there's no way to play this game and think that Elon and think that it thinks that Elon Musk is a cool guy. This game has a point of view, right? And it is not shy about that point of view at all. Right. Now, whether or not that it, whether or not it delivers that point of view mechanically is kind of where I think it comes up a little bit short or not just a little bit short. I think it comes up short. Um, as I said a few minutes ago, the big pitch for this game is the system called play as anyone, um, which, uh, you know, is, is a pretty unique thing on its face inside of the way of, inside of the world of AAA games. Um, instead of having a protagonist, you recruit a rando, uh, <laughs> and you continue to do that. To do that, you, uh, inter, inter, you kind of interface with the people walking around you using this thing called the profiler, which gives you their name, their age, a job. Uh, then you can add them to your team, uh, or your kind of team, like menu, your roster, uh, at which point you can then see what they would need to come on board DeadSec. There are some people who by default don't like DeadSec and they'll need two favors. They'll need something to convince them that what they believed about DeadSec was wrong. Um, there's little factoids on that extended dossier that include things like personal details about their lives, like just bought a fursuit or recently attended an anger management class or, you know, um, uh, read a book about coming out as asexual to your partner, stuff like that, like a pretty wide range of details there, but also includes a fact about why they don't like or like DeadSec, you know, read that DeadSec kills babies or something, or versus read that DeadSec helped the NHS. The two, the two that's it. Those are the two political sides in this game. Um, uh, uh, or, um, uh, or also uh, kind of mechanical bonuses. Uh, oh, this person who is listed as a an, an MMA fighter happens to have an extra strong punch and re, re, uh, you know resists melee damage. This person who is a banker gets uh, when you recruit them, you get a bunch of money. <laughs> um, this person who is a magistrate uh, or a solicitor can get your people out of jail more quickly. Um, this person who is a hitman has a silenced pistol. Um, the fact that you can pull up someone's job and it says hitman on it may be a little weird. I don't know how you file that, uh, into, into the, the tax people at the end of the year. Um, uh, I guess maybe it really is a a dystopia and you just get your registration right. Um, but, uh, my feeling on systems like this is, they're always going to have inconsistencies. There's always going to be stuff that does not add up. But if they work well enough, you just say, like, yeah, I don't care about the inconsistency. This basically works well enough for me to have a good time with it. And for the most part, I think 
thing that part of the system does. Where I think it comes up short is that it never puts all those people that you that you recruit together in contact with each other, and it never makes it feel as if they're an actual collective, which is sort of the core metaphor of what this game is going for. The game wants you to 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 or not just the game. Fucking, you know, we don't we don't I I don't bring this stuff up very often, but every time that we get a game, we get a reviewer's guide, or not every time, but often when you get a, a big game from a big company, you get this big glossy reviewers PDF, right? Where it's like, here's the controls. Here's some stuff you could do. Make sure to play these missions. These are the ones we think are really fun. You should write about this, etc. And mostly I throw them on the pile because I don't care what you tell me. Uh, this one had a letter from Clint Hawking, which which basically tries to make the case that, hey, we wanted to make a game that didn't have a protagonist because we think that change is only possible through collective action. Um, and unfortunately, I don't know that the gameplay communicates that because the the people you recruit don't do GTA five style heists together. Um, there's like one instance of something sort of like that at the very end of the game, but they're not interacting with each other. It's not the sniper on the roof and the person stuck on the ground. It's two people in two different parts of the city working on pro- problems that intersect, but there's not really interaction. Um, um, instead, you're just kind of getting a, a roster of superstars you'd put in one at a time. You know, it's, it's more like, it's not even like having a race racing team or something. I'm trying to think of a team sport that's like this, where you have individual players. I guess it's like a fighting game team. You yeah. know what I mean? I think maybe that's the closest the closest well, comparison. Well, especially because you there's a whole subplot where you can do the bare knuckle boxing league and pick up a, a wealth <laughs> of different fighters, right? Yes, totally, um, totally. That, have, that are surprisingly diverse in their abilities, which I thought was very interesting. Oh, dude, yeah. Did you get the gas one? That one's really no. Good. What's the gas one? There's a person who has who has tear gas grenades and a ba- and like and a face mask who's immune to the tear gas grenades. And when you fight her in the ring after you beat her first form, she just ignites the ring with red tear gas, and you have to fight her through the tear gas. To beat her, it's like a wrestling match. Right. It's like an incredible, stupid gimmick match. I love it. Yeah, I, I, um, and so she's really good at like, oh, I have to go up against a bunch of people right now. Yeah, as uh, as gimm- as like gimmicky as a lot of these games are that have, you know, um, here's this, here's the boxing league that you're going to go into. Right, it's another mini game. They they punched this up yeah. quite a bit, but kind of to your point, I think. At the end of the day, no matter what systems they put on top of it, this is another Ubisoft game. Yeah. Right? This yep. is another big map filled with stuff, um, and you're going to go you know, complete these check marks to turn a zone over into your control, or in this case, make it, was it defiant? You're going... You make it defiant, <laughs> make it defiant yeah. which means I, I guarantee it was like liberated or free in an early draft of this game. And someone was like, no, 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 let's OK, let's reel it in. You didn't free shit by blowing up one factory and turning, you know, and, and switching one frowny face sign into a smiley face sign or the reverse, whichever good. <laughs> we joker fight it, everybody. Yeah. It was oppressed. Now it's Jokerified. Yeah, exactly. I mean, on that on that point, I want to point out something from your review that also struck me. Uh, like the Imperial War Museum, when you mm-hmm. when you free that location, uh, typically when you free these locations, you're you're changing a piece of the Albion propaganda to DedSec propaganda. There are a couple yep. places that are, uh, shall we say, you know, London landmarks. The Imperial War Museum being yeah. one of them, where it just. St- Buckingham yep. Palace, I want to say Big Ben, but you know, Big Ben is like a yeah. finale 
place. Uh, Sorry, the the clock tower, whatever, whatever, colloquially known as Big Ben. We don't actually; it's not actually called Big Ben. Yeah, anyway, it was continue. funny that there were those couple places where they weren't allowed to call it what it is. Uh, but the Imperial War Museum just strips away the Albion propaganda and lets you see the Imperial War Museum in all of its glory. Right. Um, that was our empire. It's called baby. the Imperial War Museum. It's called the Imperial War Museum. And Austin, it's War something Museum. we can all take pride in. Uh, yes. Sometimes the politics of this game sound like they're the cover of a, an issue of the Sun. Where totally. It's like, will, Hands off our Imperial War Museum. Uh, unfortunately for me as an American, it often feels like the Democratic Party. Like it often feels like, listen. We all, we all, all of us know we got to fucking get 45 out of here. Get the fascists off the street so we can go back to brunch. <laughs> like, and, and go back to saluting the flag. After this is over, after, you know what? We're a week away from the election, baby. And after that, I get to be a proud American. Yeah, that's again. all I want. And it's like, ah, I just want to be, listen to the know? latest from the Lincoln Project. Uh, uh, I love <laughs> right. the Lincoln that Project is, boys. I just don't want to be ashamed. <laughs> that is Wilson, what this feels what's like. today? <laughs> I just don't want to be ashamed of my country anymore, guys. What's wrong with that? <laughs> this is exactly it. And I think that that is there. Are, there are times when you can tell the writers do have more angled and sharpened politics. But the the baseline almost has to be because you can recruit anyone. This big tent idea that we all should have national pride, that we should all we're, we're all different, but we're all we're all part of the UK. We're all part of this one country that we want to bring better. We're all Londoners, God damn it. And London should should be for Londoners. Wait a second. That sounds like uh, anti-immigration rhetoric. Let's walk that one back, except that you could, of course, recruit people who have donated to anti-immigration causes in their list. Right. You can absolutely rec- recruit just about anyone in this game, except for people who have two thumbs downs on you, who people who hate dead sec. But those people, I think, basically. Basically, only exist if you've personally hurt them or someone they care about. They're not just in the world naturally. The worst you can do is like dislikes dead sec by default, and all of that's you know recoverable. All you have to do is do do a, a you know you know mess up the person harassing them, and they'll like you a little bit more. Um, and and you know what? Maybe there's something honest about the idea that this is like transactional politics. Maybe this gets around the idea that that ideology is somehow more important than. You know, material relationships and and the, the ways in which you can buy, you can you can directly change someone's relationship with with their politics by impacting their daily life. But I don't. But it does, it feels more cynical than that in play. Well, and and Matt, I know and Matthew, I know you had something a moment ago when we were talking about empire. But I just want to talk about the sort of the transactional politics aspect of this. Uh, this game, for all that it's about, sort of a collective action movement uh, and resistance being formed from all walks of life, it doesn't really do much with the frictions that would exist in that space for any review that like, there's never any sense with the exception of like some canned dialogue that I guess for you totally misfired uh, when it was, (sighs) when it was playing, but like you don't, you do not get a sense that there are people here who have very different visions of like what a restoration or what a cleaning up of Britain would look like. It's very much a movement against, not a movement for. Um, um, it's very much like, hey, we don't like the people in power. And, and listen, that happens in revolutionary politics. You know, but, but it doesn't inside, address that head on where it's like, we, exactly. We this game does not shake have, hands with the devil. Ex- and I wish it did, right? Like there is, there is, uh, there are moments where, 
So you have a base, you have an under like an underground base underneath a pub uh, for the whole game where you kind of go to meet up with your with your crew, uh, get mission briefings. And then occasionally after major plot beats, you can kind of go check in and be like, how is morale doing? And the various people in there who are all your project characters or these NPCs that you end up recruiting who are story NPCs, but who you can't bring out into the field with you will sit in there and occasionally have some dialogue. At a certain point, you end up working with a former detective from the Metropolitan Police Force, not Albion, but like the, the old cops, the, the good cops, quote unquote. Um, uh, and they, uh, that person um, uh, does ruffle a few feathers by being there. And there was one character I had named Sarah, uh, Sarah, who was like a um, uh, kind of just an agitator and an organizer. Like that's like what she was. Uh, and when I talked to her about it, I got a cutscene of her being upset about the fact that we had this cop in our midst. What are we supposed to do? Work with the fucking cops now? This is going to be the end of us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She was saying this to Frankie Garcia, the SIRS agent, who is a super cop, right? Who was like, like, I, I'm in uniform right now. I got my badge. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm like, are you to me? You're talking to me? And at first, I actually thought she was referring to Frankie. I was like, yo, this is incredible. Like, they noticed that I talked to her with like, and then she's like, Caitlin Lau. And I'm like, oh, that's just that's the main plot person you knew I would recruit. So you, it's clear you wanted to address. It's clear you wanted to address the issue, but you couldn't do it systemically with your own characters. You could only do it with the scripted characters that you knew would come would show up, or only you could only do it. Is probably the wrong phrasing. You did only do it right. There was the sense while playing this game, and Matt, I know you and I've talked about this a lot. That there is like. What what if they did this? What if they did this? What if they did this? I know they have the data to do this. I know that they have, um, for instance, the the um, the information on who killed people versus who didn't. Right? Uh, why not make the people who've never killed anyone be upset with or say something to the person who's killed eighty people or whatever? Um, uh, and, and the answer is because of resourcing and time and and you know not wanting to. Or I have no idea what the conditions of of this game's development were. Um, but doing all of that. In the Ubisoft system, where we know, and we haven't said it yet, but one in five people over the last two years have reported um, being uh, mistreated uh, via, you know, uh, harassment, misogyny, homophobia, racism, etc. Already a bad company to fucking work for. Um, I, I do understand that pushing them harder on that could result in even worse worse uh, conditions for development. But it's it's a system that does again and again say, like, oh, well, why doesn't it just keep track of X? Or I know it's keeping track of X, but why doesn't it do something with all that information it has? You know, put put a pin in that rushed feeling real quick. But I want to I want to yes, I, I want to jump into your dissonant moment because uh, I think it speaks to something yes. that was really bothering me as I as I both played the game and then watched other people play it over the last couple of days as we start to see video footage of it come out. There is a sense to yeah. me that most of the dialogue and interactions between these characters is the same generally, but they are just draping the skin of whoever you've happened to recruit over it. Because yes. that moment that you're talking yes. about with the interaction uh, where the, the, the one character is complaining about the cop that you've just recruited. The exact same thing happened to me in the exact same way. It was, I, I talked to her right after the mission where you recruit your first Albion uh, cop, okay. uh, the one that you're going to go right. mess with the Tony Stark guy. And he was in there in yeah, all yeah, of yeah. his Albion gear talking to her in the exact same way. And she's yelling at him about cops and he's in his Albion gear. Right. And they don't address right. it. What, right. And I wonder if, she could be a cop. I wonder if that character, because that character, 
I don't think that that character is like a, you have to recruit this person to no. go forward. For me, it wasn't. She was a random recruit. Could that person have been a cop complaining about working with cops? That would be super funny. Or would the system be smart enough? They have to be able to be, right? Otherwise, because you could just recruit cops, couldn't you? You could do yeah, it. Yeah, that kind of makes me want to do a playthrough where all I do is recruit police officers. I mean, it would make the game super right. easy. Uh, <laughs> but Yeah. Um, uh-huh. I mean, and, and for what it's worth, the thing I recruited the most um, in terms of, uh, you know, they, there wasn't a majority. Uh, it wasn't even a plurality. But in terms of um, the type of character I recruited the most times, it was cops because those are also who I got killed the right. most because they were the ones who had to go deep into restricted areas where people there were heavily armed and a gunfight would break out because it was like a boss encounter or whatever uh, and would, would end up getting killed. Um, um, so, yeah, like I, I, I think that. You could do that playthrough. I'm curious if that would trigger anyway, or if they would have something in place to not. Um, I, 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 yeah. The fact that that stuff doesn't intersect more is is frustrating. Yeah, and I think that's something that'll come out as more people start sharing footage and more people do repeat playthroughs. You'll start to see the limits yes. of this thing that they've built, um, and kind of because to me, like I felt like talking to you and reading your review, it felt like you were meeting the game uh, more than halfway in its concept. And like that is who I am, and I love right? it. And you're deeply investing yourself in these characters and building the stories around them. And they just, I, I kept wanting to get there and wanting to create these dynamic moments. And I just felt them like pushing against me, trying to get into that space. Like I didn't even know I've, I could emote until I saw your video of emoting. I was like, oh, you can do that. Amazing. Yeah. Because I also did not read the review. You got to press. You got to press all the buttons on the on the, on the controller. Right. And see what they all do. Um, sometimes it means uh, causing havoc in a public square. I'm like, uh oh, whoops, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, other times it means doing a dance. Um, but yeah, no, I think that you're right to, to your point. This is a game that, in the ways in which it wants to learn things from games like Dwarf Fortress. Uh, or uh, RimWorld, or uh, I mentioned Zafe House Diaries, a truly underappreciated gem from eight years ago or something. Um, it wants to be the sort of game that gives players enough to play with in their own mind. There's a there's a phrase that comes out of Apocalypse World, the Vincent ba- Vincent and McGay Baker uh, tabletop RPG that is um, draw maps but leave blank spaces and it wants to do that right it wants to, to leave blank spaces for the player for me as someone who like does this all the time the blanks are the right size but i think for most players the blanks are, are way too big um i don't know that everyone is going to have the same sort of fondness for their characters that i do um but i but what i what i do think is that the it's clear that the this i don't know that this team as it was constructed, would have built a better, a Watch Dogs 2 version of this game particularly well. Um, I don't know that I would have trusted this team to give me a follow-up to Marcus Holloway and the San Francisco Bay Area DedSec crew. They wouldn't have been as good. Um, and so given what they were, what they had, this this works for me more than what I suspect they're like, you know, North American led team doing a team of uh, characters of, of you know, uh, uh, British characters would have given me. That's a yeah. solid point. As much as I loved Marcus Holloway and like the, the Bay Area Deadset crew, I don't know if I wanted to see this team running that story down down the down the track. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Can we talk about? Um, sorry, Rob. Sorry, Rob. No, I was just going to ask a question that's been on my mind a little bit as we're talking about this game, uh, which, which is that 
One of the things I find really appealing about these stories, sort of my, my, my favorite genre probably of film is the paranoid espionage thriller. Um, yeah. Austin, you and I have talked about sneakers so much. Um, Car- like Carol Three X-Men. Days of the Condor is – yeah. Uh, these are some of my favorite types of mm-hmm. movies. But one of the things that I find really compelling, like a fantasy I really find compelling, is the notion that the world can look utterly normal but it is hostile to you in ways that are invisible that you are like, you've sort of fallen through the looking glass and like everyone else is going out with their normal day, but you were on the other side. You are now an outlaw. Uh, you have, you are now an enemy of the state in ways that mean that like normal everyday locations are vigilant and hostile to you in a way that they are not against other people. You, you do not get invisibility. And one of the nightmares of the surveillance state is that all of us lose our anonymity. And the, mm-hmm. the the transgressions required to fall into that state become further and further diminished. Like we see, um, you know, in this wave of protests that happened this summer, so many arrests followed social media photos uh, yeah. from days later. Really like really trivial ones, ones that you would not think and 20 years ago would not have gotten people arrested. Now, like police agencies are able to find people um, based off very spotty information and one of the things I was hoping for from this game, but I didn't pick up in my playthrough, was a sense that Albion can actually see shit in this in this world. Yeah. I was, like Ghost Recon Breakpoint, Dude. one of the things I really liked about it was when it played that card, it at least worked. Like there were times you were being hunted by the drones, hunted by the the enemy ghosts. Um, and so it gave me that feeling of like, oh fuck, like the the tools of my trade are against me here. Is there anything like that in this game? Does the surveillance state surveil? This bothered me so much about this game. I, I, I have to rant just a little bit. I'm sorry. Please. Um, but no, the, no, no. The, this made me so mad because it is a game that, like Rob said, uh, purports to show you this terrible world. You, know, you, you are walking down the street and there's going to be arrests every block. Someone is getting taken in everywhere you go. There are drones in the sky literally everywhere. Cameras are watching you everywhere you go. You you can walk through um, these kiosks that automatically register who you are and like show your face and like give you stat readings. And one of the first things I did was cause a bunch of mischief and then go and stand in one of those things. I was like, does it know who I am? Does it know that I've caused this mischief? Nothing. Nothing. No, and that's even if you haven't put your mask. There are ways yeah. to cause mischief without your mask yes. on, right? The idea is everyone has masks. You put the mask on when it's go time to hide your identity. But there are ways, you know, if you just roll up on a guard and knock them out, you do that with your with your with your mask yeah. off. You know, um, uh, if you drive a car into someone, your mask off. Uh, and a thing, uh, maybe an indication of this uh, uh, kind of sideways is I realized about. 25 hours into the game that I'd never really been in a car chase. Um, this is not a game where you get pursued. And also, that's a weird thing to do in an open world game that has some, like, okay car physics. I think this is probably the best cars have felt in the Watch Dogs series. Uh, once you get the hand breakdown, you can do some really fun drifts. Not that you would know, because you never do a car chase in this fucking game. Because you're never being pursued. You're never being chased down. I think the highest my wanted level has ever gotten is, like, a 2 um, outside of plot missions or the jacks up higher than that. But like, that's not, it's not, it doesn't, Albion, you may as well not exist to Albion outside of the areas where you're going in to fight them. Um, I don't, 
get why that's the case, or I don't get why it feels as if they wanted to play play with kid gloves a little bit here. They didn't want to go too hard on the players, which is a mistake in a real way. Yeah, because it ends up feeling just like any other open world game. Right. Even well, again, even again, I think even weaker, even less. Yeah, aggressive. because you, the cops in GTA don't give up as easy as the cops in this. Yeah, yeah, you know? absolutely. Like I could walk down a little side alley and just be gone uh, in this. Yeah, I mean, it's really easy to just um, drive down the sidewalk, mowing people down with absolutely no consequence, no immediate consequence. The one thing that it does do, though, this has nothing to do with the kind of. Uh, surveillance superiority that Albion has is um, as the game rolls on, if you have killed people or crashed into people, you do start gaining those negative reputations with people. Um, and the two things that can happen is one, you could just bump into them. Uh, in my review, I do talk about bumping into someone who happened to be happened to dislike my character because I'd run over his niece. Um, but maybe more directly, um, you can get people kidnapped. Your crew will just get lifted off the street um, procedurally, not just part of story, but just like, oh, you finish a mission and then you get an update that says L has been taken hostage uh, by someone who she pissed off. Um, and so you can go get those people. And those can be Albion people. Those can be Clan Kelly, which is the, sort of like cr- the the criminal queen of this of this uh, of this of London now because she worked with the cops. Is this this woman whose first name I forget? Something Kelly, uh, and and uh, they'll kidnap your people. Um, and that's like fun. That's like the one instance where it felt like the game was pushing back. But I wish there were like ten times as many ways that that could happen. I was waiting this whole game for the XCOM enemy unknown style. They're gonna raid our base thing, and it just never came. It just never never really happens, you know. Um, yeah, there's there are some narrative moments where you come under threat, but those are all prescripted things, you know. Yeah, there's no sense of danger, even with permadeath. Mm. So we might disagree here, but go ahead. I need to i i need I needed to kick up the difficulty. I think I needed to flip yeah. it from from medium to hard. But I just dude, like, I lost so many people so quick because of the way the escalation in combat works. See, but I was so sneaky most of the time. I was in and out like a ghost. Uh, yeah. So frequently. Well, you're a master. You're a master infiltrator, unlike me. You know what I mean? So yeah. I didn't like going. I didn't like going loud. But if you go loud, no, so that's the thing. Yeah. The way it works, just just to clarify what I mean when I say the escalation is. So I would be sneaking in, and then let's say I would I would fuck up and stumble onto someone, or my invisibility cloak would run out, or someone would turn a corner I didn't expect. Uh, I would go to knock them out. Uh, maybe that wouldn't work. Uh, because they would already be in combat mode, and at that point you're in a you're in a fist fight. Um, uh, the way I lost Ifechi, who is one of my favorite people, who I got from one of the fighting rings, uh, who was this dude clad in all gold, everything, uh, who had a golden crowbar, um, and like his vibe was just immaculate. <laughs> um, uh, he was I was like going to bring him in. Oh, he had a special attack that did AOE damage called a it was like a shockwave smash. And whenever he knocked someone down, it would knock back everyone around him. So he was really good in melee. And the thing that happens is if you pull out a gun, everyone around you will pull out a gun. Even if you don't pull out a gun, if you're in a fight long enough, Albion says, fuck this, we're going to put this guy down and pulls out their guns. And that's what happened with Ifechi. I, I knocked like two people out with his crowbar, someone down a hallway, basically, or like in a different adjoining room, threw a grenade at me and then shot me. Um, and I, I had gone invisible 
to try to hide this. This clip is in the review. If you go to waypointdevice.com and look at the review, you can find this clip. Um, I'd gone invisible to try to like heal up a little bit and then ran and just saw the grenade icon on the ground and it knocked me visible again. And then the cop just shot me and I just like, boom, you're done. Like two hits back to back. Um, and I lost a, a bunch of people in fights like that where it's like, oh shit, I fumbled with the controls a little bit, which by the way, I think within the first day, I, I said to you, Matt, and you had said that the game felt kind of unfinished in places. And I think I said, I think I said, to you, maybe it was to Rob, that sometimes playing this game feels like trying to open a door with too many groceries in your hand, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're carrying too many bags, and it's so easy to hack into a camera by mistake instead of uh, stun someone using like the, the distract feature. Um, it's so easy to to swing your your crowbar instead of do a takeout. Um, it, multiple times, because of the way uh, pop like uh, uh, interface pop-ups, you know, uh, showed up on the screen, I would do a, a recruitment mission for someone or do the preliminary pre-recruitment mission to get them to even want to talk to me, then go to talk to them and hit them in the face instead of talking to them, and then get the big thumbs down. Oh, no, this spy I wanted to recruit hates DedSec now. I'll have to redo a different favor to make him like me again. It's like, dude, I just hit triangle. I hit, you know, whatever, square instead of triangle. I'm wrong console. I hit whatever, X instead of Y. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I ran into a lot of that. A lot of that, like, kind of finicky controls and weird, lots of weird, rough-around-the-edges stuff. I want to talk about the radio real quick, because this annoyed me quite a bit. Um, when you first enter the game, I'm the kind of person that, though I, I hate reading all the notes, if mm -hmm. you give me a note, I'm going to read all the notes. I'm going to listen to all of your audio logs I'm going to yeah. sit there and do all of it. And like, there's all this really interesting world building stuff in there, right? Um, when you start the game, there are just a whole bunch of audio logs dumped into the DedSec base. So I went and I picked all those up. I listened to them. They're not short. They're supposed to be like podcast episodes, several yeah. minutes long. Um, when you are listening to them, you are locked into the menu. Can't move around. Can't do anything. So I go through all of those. I finish well, out. It's weird. Really quick. In the intro, they have them that play while you're walking around. So I know they have the technology to do this. I don't know why it doesn't happen in the game. It gets better. Uh, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. I do. Um, so I clear out all those that are in dead, the dead sec, uh, dead sec base, get the dead sec base active. And then I look at my data thing and so there's just, I don't know how many audio logs they just dumped into data dozens it, dozens lots lots of them and i was like i it broke my completionist brain and i was like i can't all right i i if i I'll, this is what i'll be doing tonight if i engage with this right now um later figured out that it is in fact there is in fact a podcast radio station in the cars get into a car listen to a nice podcast however um it never saves your progress with whatever you're listening to. Every time you get into the car, it will restart the same pro the same podcast. So if you're just on that station, every time you like get out of the car to go do something, come back into it, it'll just restart the same one you were listening to over and over again. And there were a couple yep. times where I would hear the first 30 seconds of, <laughs> you know, uh, bugged telling us all about how they couldn't get, you know, the, the shortages of medicine and food, um, and NHS problems just repeatedly over and over again. <laughs> uh, uh, the to clear it. Um, they're not bad. Listen, they're not bad. They're honestly, the delivery is, is impeccable. Like, it's really it's actually, crazy. 
it's it's really crazy. Hearing that stuff was, in fact, I think one of the first notes that I made. Actually, so the first note that I made is that I thought that the fake graffiti that was meant to set up set up DeadSec was very funny in a in a way that's like the you know the classic Blacks Rule graffiti <laughs> um, because it's straight up. It's like. Uh, um, God, love, love to resist or is proud to be resisting, except later you realize that is actually the same graffiti dead sec use dead sec as fuck. And I was like, oh, no, I thought this was a joke. I thought this was like making fun of and it was not. But then um, like moments later, I got to the first uh, the first of these bug off radio things. And I wrote specifically, I was like, this is really interesting because it's walking the line between people who clearly know what they're talking about, but are also kind of annoying libs to some degree. Like they, 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 I know I follow these blue checks. I absolutely do. They sounded real. A lot of them sounded like these were absolutely segments on BBC that I could have, that you could pick up. Totally. Um, you know, a little more aggressive in terms of anti anti fascism than the BBC has been. Uh, but but uh, but yeah, absolutely. Complete with like weird production quirks where somebody's mic obviously sounds a little bit different than the host's mic and they're uh, they're they're stuttering and like saying, um, just like I am right now. Like it sounded natural. Uh, yeah. But I don't think that was anything I'd ever heard uh, in in the game like this before. And the it's information good. is good. The world building yeah. that they deliver is good. Yeah, the the way they these are characters who talk more naturally than anyone else in the game world about the state of being, and it, it's kind of done a disservice because the only way to listen to it is to pause the menu, activate each episode individually, or I guess stay in your car long enough that a full episode plays. But I remember that when I first got the game, I had to like clean some stuff in my room. And I just went over and hit play on one of the podcast episodes, let it play for its like six minute runtime, and then switch to another one. I was like, fuck it, let me just keep this on. This is kind of fun. Uh, you know, this stuff is all right. Yeah, they were they were good. And I and that's like the frustrating thing about this game, right? Is it gets so close. There's so many things that are just almost there. Yeah. That it it never quite for me gets over that line. It never transcends. So- I think that that's right. One of the questions I had for, like, just a beef I generally have with the way Ubisoft build out their world and tell their stories is that Ubisoft always skews toward heightening everything. Uh, they heighten their comedy. They heighten their premise. Um, they heighten the satire, the, the character traits, etc. And I think one of the things I was, again, wary of with the setting is, well, I have two thoughts here. One is that... I think I've probably been unkind to that brand of satire, given how reality has proceeded over the last like two years. Uh, like genuinely things that I would have thought were just stupidly broad. Um, you know, what what kind of pandering to liberal sensibilities is this? People surely would not act that way. Um, my every expectation has been shattered in that regard. So I'm a little more sympathetic to maybe a, a heightened satire, a heightened critique. But at the same time, I find Ubisoft games have a real hard time maintaining any kind of tone because they do zigzag between like, this is serious. We're trying to say serious things about Uh what's happening in society right now and what's happening in the world. And then they'll want to like do a hard right turn into like, okay, so the premise for this bit is (laughs) that this gangster dreams of being a Hong Kong martial arts star from the eighties. He doesn't realize of course, that it's not the eighties and can't do martial arts. But anyway, you have to, and that's how Ubisoft games unfold. 
and I'm like, does this have a better grasp on tone, on where it's wanting to go with the story and sort of unfurl its uh, portrait of the dystopian nightmare we're heading towards? I, for, it's, this is a weird, there's a weird, this is a weird one. Because like London, that the London that they have created, and especially um, this is probably one of the first games I've played with like full ray tracing implementation, and it was it made me understand ray tracing in a way that I hadn't before. It's like wow, this mm. is beautiful, and the rain slicked, you know, streets of London has this beautiful sense of place. Um, but man, there's a lot of cartoonish villainry going on, uh, oh, yeah. playing with very serious subjects. Man, there's a lot of organ harvesting and human trafficking in this game. A, a lot of it and outright slavery. Oh yeah. Um but I never I never wandered into anything that felt like a Bonnie Python skit on the other side. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the the only thing that they've contained that impulse in Bagley the assistant AI who is like a running comedy you know talking out of the side of his mouth sarcasm bot um but the things you're doing aren't goofy um which i think is a marginal improvement in some ways over the over like watchdogs 2 which did that big swing between you know five weeks from now big brother's gonna take over the world and it's time to go steal a song from this rapper yeah yeah, exactly yes Sorry, I think about that bit now. Um, yeah, and I think so. I think it's better than that, but I, but I, that, that doesn't mean that it isn't abrasive in this other way, right? Um, it is. This is a game in which, like you said, there is human trafficking, uh, but it doesn't, and it's it is it is you know ridiculous how it's done in some ways, but the way it's done also intersects with deportation camps, right? Um, uh, it intersects with, uh, you know, drug policies. Um, and that stuff is n- not an a-, a sci-fi AU cyber thriller stuff. That stuff is happening for real. And so it can feel like a little too, a little too real sometimes or something. But then I remind myself, this is no different than the many games that Ubisoft has made that release or that, that take place in fictional Arabic uh, uh, or or East Asian or, or Southeast Asian or African countries. Like the whole Far Cry series minus Far Cry 5 has been doing the same ripped from the headlines things, just not about the Anglophone world. And that is the fact that that, that, that I remember when critics were upset about a handful of critics, not critics generally, were upset when it was revealed that Far Cry 5 was going to take place in America. Um. Uh. And when Ubisoft was still signaling that that game had some political things to say, because that's how they did the hard pitch privately, including making critics sign some NDAs so they wouldn't ever, or reviewers or whatever, uh, and journalists sign some NDAs so they wouldn't even talk about some of the shit that they were told, which is fucking ridiculous. Um. Uh. But but uh, at the time, I remember journalists being like, mm, I don't know if this is gonna play in about in America in America. America is a little too. It's a little too real, isn't it? I'm like, motherfucker, like. These past few games have been about real shit. They just didn't use the names. Like the the there are very specific references in Far Cry 2 to particular African conflicts in places like Rwanda. That isn't like you didn't you not knowing about it doesn't excuse it. 
Um, and so I think there's a there's a risk of doing that here of suddenly clutching at pearls because this is a place you know a little bit more. Um, and I would just ask for some consistency on that and to, to make sure that what you're not doing is falling into the trap of wishing for a game where instead you got to go deal with someone else's problems instead of your own. Um, and if you already like that, then good. Then you're, you're golden. If you're already frustrated by that too, then fuck it. You're being consistent. But otherwise, you know, step up. That's it. That's all I got to say to people. Step the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. At this point, like I've kind of covered the ground that I would want to cover. So I'm just curious. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last uh, salient points we want to hit here. I'm curious. You know, you said you didn't really connect to any of your characters, Matt. I'm curious if there was anyone who did stand out or if you have like a, a lead or someone who like this is actually this is kind of my main. I the the problem with the game for me is that I I. A lot of the time I felt like I was just slipping on different skill sets to attack to sure. attack different problems. Um, and every time like I had uh, a 60 year old construction worker with a heavy drone that I used to just cruise around the city skies that I really enjoyed. And I liked her. I also had a, a Hungarian immigrant as my first uh, character who's just giving the the worst line readings for every bit <laughs> of dialogue in a way that was kind of charming. Um but I never felt attached to any of them. Yeah. It was always just like, okay, well, I need to, I need to bring in heavy drone. I see. I don't even remember their names. That's how terrible. Yeah. That's how terrible I am. Uh, it's like, I need to bring in heavy drone lady so I can get to the top of this building and spray paint that thing and then move on. And then I'm going to call my stealth guy to do the stealth guy missions. Right. Actually, quick question about that. Cause this was something that definitely hit me when I was doing the demo. Um, the drone was kind of fun and goofy in its way. It's like, I'll just ride my little UAV up to the sky. <laughs> uh, but like at the same time, like setting aside the uh, Green Goblin absurdity of like <laughs> what you're what you're doing. I think the other part was that it made traversal maybe a little too trivial. And I think this is a general trend in Ubisoft games. Like Assassin's Creed, now you can climb everything. There is nothing that's like, how do I get up there? Yeah. But this one, because so much of the game again seemed to be about seemed to be about there is here's your encounter space. Here's your here's your base that you need to infiltrate. Here's the big MacGuffin you need to steal. Here are the switches that power the various things. I found that in the demo, the little um, hover drones kind of trivialized a lot of that because there were so many places where I'd just be like, okay, so I got a decent, I'll just fly up, I'll overlook the entire area. And then a lot of times I would see a decent place where I was just like, I'll fly in there, hop off my little drone, and just go get this done. And it got really silly and also undramatic. I absolutely felt that way. I, I loved zipping around this. I loved green gobbling across London. Uh, but once I kind of figured out that if I got her and I got the upgraded spider bot, I could uh -huh. solve most of the game's problems. Um, the, the, the two things there that I think are interesting is I think you're hundred percent right for 80% of the game. And then in the back, you know, 20% or so the back fifth, they start putting those counterterrorism drones over a lot of stuff and they'll just shoot you out of the fucking sky. Um, but two, I think that the design reminds me of Mario in some ways. I mean, this is the thing that's weird about Watch Dogs from two forward is like these games are puzzle platformers uh, as much as they are open world shooters. Uh, when you get to a place, what you're doing is the design of any location 
uh, is a puzzle platformer because what you do is deploy a spider drone to then find a way in to a jumping puzzle or to you know work out a literal pipe dreams style puzzle up on the wall somewhere, right? Um, uh, and what they the reason I compare it to Mario is because those things are your red coins. Getting through the level, fire construction drone in, drop down, uh, hit the button to download the file, get out, right? Um, but in those all of those areas, there are uh, the tech point upgrades, which are always hidden or just about always hidden somewhere where you need to figure out a way in or past. There are the collectible audio log things. Um, there are relics that you can collect, and I never completed the full set of those. So I'm not sure what happens if you get all five pieces of whatever, you know, the first optic uh, uh, implant thing. I don't know if that's a mechanical bonus or just an achievement or what. Uh, who could say? Uh, Matt also hasn't done it. Um, um, but those are the things that are like, ah, let me try to perform mastery onto this space as an optional thing. And I always did it at least for the tech upgrade points, because that is the only way of progressing in this game. You don't, no character levels up. Uh, in the build I played last year or two, whenever that was at an e, I think E3 2019, I guess, um, the, there was, each character could unlock additional perks and you could slot perks in. That is not the case anymore. You can slot in gadgets that you have and weapons that you have, but everyone has their own single perk loadout. And in fact, having someone who has, say, a shotgun, like a real shotgun, not a, a stun shotgun, does not give that to you to give to anybody. They own that thing. Um, and so the tech points are really the only way to upgrade all of your agents at once. And so I would always do that stuff. Um, and so, yes, what I often would do is get to the place where I have to complete the mission, complete the mission, fly back up into the air and be like, all right, now how do I do this for real? Almost <laughs> as if you're going back into, again, a Mario level to get the red coins or to do the, the hard, switching over to hard mode in, in, in a puzzle platformer or something. One thing I think would be remiss if we didn't talk about. Um, another thing that you can, that is collectible are the masks. Yes. Can yes. You talk uh, those about are also the things. The fashion that I would go back in of this game. I think that the marketing did a really did did this game dirty in a real way because it's so aggressive and and ugly and bad. The big terrible pig mask sucks. Everything is like this in the marketing. Everything is like this retro punk aesthetic that they think is hot. Um, with like everything is like extra studded or neon or like you know it, it's like a pastiche of a pastiche of a parody of of the punk scene. But I think that the masks in the game that you unlock are generally pretty cool. Um, at least, at least there are like a lot of them. Like, yo, this looks sick. Uh, this is like a a good. I can fit this to my other to my person's full outfit. And also, there are dozens of different shops in this game spread across the the city in different neighborhoods. Uh, like reflecting the fashion style of the different neighborhoods that all have dozens of pieces of clothing in them. I loved shopping for my crew and making them look sick. That's the only thing you do with money in this game. You get money, you get, you get, uh, uh, crypto coins or whatever. Uh, is there a name? Do they have a name for there? I think they just literally called it crypto. Okay. There's like crypto. one of the podcasts is all about how crypto is yes. better than cash now. God. And you that the only thing you can spend it on is uh, new hats and new glasses and, and skirts and blazers. And it's sick. And, and like I, I like that in a way it's inconvenient that there's not you just don't go to a central shop. And yeah. but but there is something really it's neat fun. about. Yeah, there is just going to the different neighborhoods and like, all right, what's this neighborhood's aesthetic? There's three or four different stores all in this one area. They're all going to have different stuff. Yep. 
Um, and so Ooh, actually, I like this. I like this. I like this shirt here. Can I go find something to match it across the street over here before I commit to it? And I, I really think this gets at my problem with the game, actually, which is more of that. It's really good when it's encouraging the player to think about what fits a character they happen to be playing at the time. When they're encouraging to think about the physical space of the world, like a city, and go shopping. Like, there's a mall in this game, which I've been to a billion times because missions keep pushing me into the fucking mall. Because there's, like, a weird under mall area <laughs> where there's, like, some evil Albion shit going on. Uh, but a, And I think, that it's, I think that it's based on a real mall in London that maybe has a big energy generator underneath it. It's weird. Anyway, um, the... The, the, there's like a ton of shops there. And every time I would go there for a mission, I'd be like, oh, no, wait a second. I got to go to the second floor because there's a good store up there <laughs> before I head downstairs. It's like, I got to go to the Auntie Anne's real quick and get a pretzel for, to make this experience more enjoyable for, for me. Um, and if they had leaned into that stuff, if I could have gone and gotten my agents a pretzel for two crypto or whatever, I would have done it every time. It would have been so funny to see my characters walking around the mall eating a pretzel. Um, and so that is, that is, I think, in some ways, like the the fact that the marketing didn't show good fashion and the fact that that's one of the only ways in which you can engage in that stuff um, is, is I think, really telling about what the, the priorities were for this game. On the masks, did you get the fucking wild-ass Rorschach mask, Matt? No, I, I had that's a couple- That's a comparison of- that's like, it's not, it's like techno Rorschach in the sense that what's on it always changes. No, and it was, I think it's not it's, like one of those Destiny uh, helmets with like the LED like expressions. And no, shit. okay, no, it's not that. It's literally, it's like so. I got a mask early on that looked just like a sheet, like pulled yeah, yeah, tight yeah. against my face with a smiley face or something on it, right? And then I got one that was just a black bar with the letter X on it, and I was like, okay, that's kind of like simple and, and interesting. And then what I realized was, I think it's pulling texture data from around you onto the map and corrupting it in a unique way. So every time I put it on, it looked different based on where I was in the world. It's that's, sick. That's cool. It's shocking they didn't put it on a real character in the, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's the wrench mask of this game to me and they don't show it. You could just like not get it because it's hidden in some, you know, base somewhere that I happen to find. It's cool as shit. It's cool as shit and someone should steal it and, and use it more directly in a movie or something. Um, anyway, yeah, so, yeah, I'm glad you pointed out the, that the masks are good, actually. It's just that all of the ones they chose to show off in ads suck. So, as we come to the end of this thing, I'm curious, um, you know, Gald, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head. I think history suggests Austin, by meeting these games more than halfway, uh, becomes a collaborative performer in Watch Dogs game. And so I'm curious, like, um... With that caveat, Austin, like, I mean, do you reckon, like, does it get your recommendation for people who are willing to go that mile and, like, put in that investment in, like, buying into the setting and establishing, like, character and rules for yourself? Does it satisfy on that level? Or even making those allowances, is it still? It's a really fun curiosity for someone like me, right? Yeah. Um, I think that it's interesting to see these systems developed, uh, by a big team that has a lot of incredible talent on it, um, uh, but also a team that very clearly was hamstrung by the design requirements of a big AAA action game. Um, there are big gunfights in this game. You cannot get around them. There will be times where you have a boss encounter or a final confrontation with a character or something where it devolves into a huge gunfight. To make And those are climactic moments, right? Those are not... Um, those aren't small sections of the game. Those are supposed to be these big explosive things. 
And so that means that the game has to revolve around making those systems the focal point as much as anything else, which means that resources go there and decide decisions about what characters can and can't do go to making sure that you have cool people who can get into gunfights, even if that's not how you play the game 80% of the, the rest of the time. You know, it's, de- it's Deus Ex, and it's Deus Ex Human Revolution in some ways, right? It's that like, oh, fucking, I don't ever do this, but now I'm in a fucking gunfight with a super cop or whatever, like that stuff happens in this game a lot. And in fact, I kept thinking about Deus Ex while playing this game because it was like I was jumping to different versions of uh, JC Denton or, or Adam Jensen, you know, depending on which flavor of Deus Ex you like, um, uh, between characters. I'm like, oh, this is my action JC. This is my stealth JC. Um, uh, this is me going through the vents. This is me going through the front door. Um, and, and I don't know that if all, I think with all of that said, you know, it's hard to recommend. It's already hard to recommend a Ubisoft game given uh, a lot of the the recent reveals of of uh, kind of various allegations about um, you know in- inequity and abuse in that company. Uh, it's it's doubly hard when I think that they've missed the mark here. Um, but I do think that there are things here that are worth praising, and I think it takes a lot of guts as a team to go into Ubisoft offices and say we're not going to have a hero. We're not. We're that is the core metaphor of this game, and I don't think they necessarily follow through on that metaphor. But they go into a to a a, a company meeting and say the thing we're going to do here is going to change the way these games work. And I think that they knew that that was a lie. Um, you know, this is obviously projection and speculation. But I don't think you get to go into that room with dozens of years of game development under your belt and think you're actually going to change the world of games. I think what you're going to do is scam your boss into giving you money to make a cool experiment. Um, and I think that's what this feels like in many ways. I don't think it succeeds at that experiment. But as someone who is invested in games like these, who often plays them um, uh, in spite of, frankly, disliking some of the ideological stuff inside of them. Um, uh, you know, I, I mentioned RimWorld before, and the person who makes RimWorld is a complete fucking scumbag. Uh, and it's worth saying that, like, the way that gender was, gender and sexuality were originally programmed into that game completely suck. Um, and I haven't played it in years, but but when I first, when that game first came out, I really really dug into it despite that stuff because the seeing people work in the space is so rare. I, I wouldn't say like never play this game. There's nothing here for you if you're the sort of player who loves these sorts of system driven, proc gen driven narrative things. Um, but otherwise, like know what you're getting. Like at least at least the very least, don't trick yourself into thinking that this is going to be some grand revelation on the the AAA open world action thing. Like it's not. It's not in this way. It's kind of relieving. It's so relieving that I don't feel like anyone I know is going to try to make the same sorts of cases I've heard this year about Last of Us Two, but about Watch Dogs Three. <laughs> do you know what I mean? No one is going to say this is the one that proves that games can do more than da 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 da. Like, no, like it's it's a fun experiment, and and I think it's worth some attention for that. But I don't necessarily think it's a successful one. Yeah, Legion is not going to be the hill that any anybody dies on, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That'll be mid December. That game will come out. We'll see. We'll see. Um, <laughs> I think. God. I think there's a chance that thing God. explodes on the I launch mean, pad so thoroughly. I think uh, so too. It's tough to make. It's- it. Deus Ex games are hard to make. Like. <laughs> of that entire game idea yeah, it, uh-huh. it resulted in one undeniable classic um Deus and then X. a series of contested se- like yeah yeah i heard you, people say like, invisible played- war are re- is really good and got totally okay. shanked by um 
the hardware the console the console release being limiting it yeah yeah, yeah. i believe that one i'm sure that there's a version of that now where that's been changed did either of you play all the way through the second modern one so i'm actually i just started that i've been thinking about starting it what do you think of it matt not to turn this into a new segment uh mankind divided i like to yeah I, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. I wasn't, uh, I didn't have large expectations for it. Um, it was nice in that, you know, it's this, we, we hear the story about this game that it's a third of a game that was supposed to come out, right? Um, huh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's it's supposedly it's the first third of a trilogy. Um, and <laughs> that was kind of cut away. But because of its smaller scale, uh, kind of like we were talking about with this, where I think you told me that like Watch Dogs, but on a space station would be more enjoyable, like if the scale is was a, smaller. A shout out to my friend Jack DeKeat, who was suggesting, hey, what if it was this whole game, except instead of having to you know simulate millions of people and interactions between them, it had to simulate a hundred. And the whole thing took place on a Prey, even smaller than Prey, maybe, scale space station, where you could really zoom in on, on character interaction and and beef and all that stuff. Anyway. Um, I, I, I loved that in day and mankind divided because it's a neighborhood and it's constricted. Uh, the other thing I think that we didn't like one of the big, uh, critical talking points about the game when it came out was that, um, there was a lot of class stuff built into the game, right? The haves and have nots and the haves have these, um, you know, these augmentations and why should we feel bad for them when they get this, horrifying disease but like the thing that has always stuck out to me in my mind about that game is the opening mission you're in do i think it's dubai maybe cutter and you are surrounded by the bodies of men who have been whose bodies have been augmented uh to be construction workers in dubai to Mm -hmm. build this stadium and like i'm willing to bet that they <laughs> didn't people were not they didn't have a choice yeah there's a classic netrunner called called mandatory upgrades yeah uh that the corporation can play uh that yeah uh-huh yes and i and i wish that it had, had the game itself had focused more on those people and like what it's like to be forced into that kind of role although i guess the protagonist kind of is because he never asked for this haha uh-huh, etc Right, um, right, right. But I think that stuff was there under the surface, uh, and I enjoyed yeah. it for that reason as well. Let me tell you a little bit of a little, little about a little anime called Ghost in the Shell, uh, <laughs> which know, is you, all about people forced to have uh, augments to then uphold the state that forced them to have those augments because they're so in debt to the state because of those augments. <laughs> it's yep. great. In a weird way, I, like playing uh, Mankind Divided right now, I think it. <laughs> Whoever like had the idea to throw in the Og Lives Matter thing uh, oh just needs to be uh, keel hauled because uh, it was yeah. such a it, like not only was it it, yeah, yeah, it tone deaf but also it actually misses the metaphor of what is actually happening here. Like yes, there exactly. are like there is a there's a oppressed class of people who can usually be recognized on site and be targets for oppression. That is true, but the major thing that is happening in the day in the modern Deus Ex uh, universe is. It is about the acceleration of precarity and labor Mm. and gig work, particularly like the reason people hate Augs is that Augs are better at shitty jobs than regular people. (laughs) 
And that infuriates people. Uh, You know, I used to be a construction worker, but then these fucking Augs came and and took my job. So why do I care if their bodies are breaking down and they are being like physically destroyed by the labor they performed and the things they purchased to enable that labor? Um, Yeah, that's that's really sharp. I should play this game. I should get through this. I I played like nine hours of it before I fell off and was having a fairly good time. It was just, we launched a website around Spin up a one-on-one baby. Cause I'm, I'm like, listen, eight hours dude, in. don't say shit. Don't, don't say shit. You're going to want to take write back. that check. I'll write that cash. Well, Austin's probably not going to cash this here, Austin. Sure. We'll see. Can I tell you something is I did just reinstall that game pretty re- <laughs> recently. So I've been having I, cyberpunk yeah. thoughts. This is I know that's what, of course it's, it's cyberpunk at. it's cyberpunk fall uh, lowercase c cyberpunk uh, because <laughs> of the long shadow because uh, uh you know capital letter cyberpunk got delayed again so that people could crunch on it for another six weeks fucking nightmare fucking you hear that they only heard about that uh, in the email as it went out in, with yeah. the uh, concurrent announcement bruh yeah what a nightmare bullshit company anyway love to um, love to learn the can the uh, beatings will continue. The other thing I want to quickly shout out that I didn't make it into my, yeah, the beatings will continue and pro- probably the transphobia too. Um, the thing that I didn't get into in my review for Watch Dogs, the other comparison I wanted to make, is there's two. One is Tarn Adams' Liberal Crime Squad, a game that is that people don't know about and should look into. Uh, Tarn Adams of Dwarf Fortress fame, uh, before Dwarf Fortress made a game called Liberal Crime Squad, which is a text-based tactical roguelike about trying to take over the executive, legislative, and judicial branches by way of uh, domestic terrorism, effectively. Okay. Building a, a left-wing, uh, uh, sorry, a liberal, an elite liberal cell. Uh, boy, was it the 90s. Um, uh, it's it's a it's a comedy game, um, let's say, uh, but it sure is something. People should look up Liberal Crime Squad, a game that no one knows about. The other thing I kept thinking about while playing Watch Dogs is Fable. Um, a game that also simulated a bunch of people and relationships between a lot of people um, and and stuff. And, like, it's weird no one talks about Fable and that part of Fable anymore. Because I don't know that it, like, that wasn't a home run by any means. But it was doing similar stuff uh, 15 years ago, you know? I think the the problem with anything that Molyneux has touched is all <laughs> the every, what people remember are the promises. Like, even now. Yeah more than the experience of actually playing the game. Even when those, like, the fables were all right, you know? Yeah. And they were doing some interesting things, but he always overpromised, And so you always remember the game you were supposed to be playing instead of the one you actually played. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I think... All right, think, we should that on that note, yeah. on the note of Molyneux. Yeah, we're about to go off on a... Yeah, let's get into the history of Peter Molyneux and his various promises. Uh, How many that times will, has he cried? Oh, poor, poor Peter Molyneux. And what was it? Curiosity Cube or whatever? The what was the big cube? Uh, it was it was called. Yeah, it was. It was called. Um, was it Cube? I want to say that there was like another there was another well, it was for Goddess, know, that name Godus. Right. It became part of it, the winner got to be, <laughs> be the God and Goddess. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. It, <sighs> look, it was a sad end. Uh, uh, to curiosity. A- What's inside the cube? <laughs> it, it was, it was, you know, it was a carnival Barker esque career. 
uh, in, in some ways with like flashes of showmanship and genius and then mm-hmm. a lot of uh, Potemkin sets that were just falling down around him. <laughs> uh, all right. So that will do it for this week's episodes. Uh, you can send questions to gamingadvice.com with the subject question. You can keep up with the site as it updates by heading to waypoint.vice.com and refreshing obsessively. <laughs> Uh, or you can follow us on social media. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, on Facebook and YouTube at Waypoint Vice. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Austin, where can people find you? At Austin underscore Walker. Matthew. At M-J-G-A-U-L-T. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash Bowen. That will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of Waypoint Radio. Until then, return to Mission Area and proceed to your objective. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Fuck capitalism, go home. (laughs) You're playing too much Baldur's Gate. Look, (laughs) capitalism isn't going to destroy itself. You got to go get things done. (laughs) Uh, Techjunkie.com. Boot up your Xbox One. Done. Find the game for which you want to check the hours. Play it on the home screen. Okay. Use the hamburger menu key on your controller. It's the start button uh, uh, to bring up the app menu. Go Then tap on go to official club. Okay. I'm going to the Watch Dogs Legion club. Then uh, scroll left or right to access the progress tab. Uh, wait, is the... Okay. Pro, pro, progress. Here we go. Then, then... You'll land on the achievements have to scroll down to the stats tab. Now we're fucking talking. You know I love to look at stats. No stats. This game doesn't have any stats to show. Great. Okay. <laughs> that was worth it. That was good. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Everyone go to time.is. Uh-huh. Got your locals going? I do. You thought what? You thought I wouldn't have uh, recorded that masterful little little investigation I just did? All right. My locals Can't going. miss any, any bit of content. All right. <laughs> Uh, let's clap in on seven. Yep. So we're, we're going to Galt has crazy yeah, Galt, lag. That was a real wild, wild, wild lag. Galt, did you whiff or I think I whiffed actually. Okay. Uh, I think that was another one. I apologize. All right, let's do it at 30. Let's do it at 30. 30 is fine. No, that's just lag. Oh, Lord. Oh, really? That's just lag. That one felt good. That's just lag. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That That's how we know it's just lag. Because if, if that was on time for you, there was a... I, we could have had a tennis volley in between. <laughs>
Yeah, Austin and I went and got like fresh coffees uh, <laughs> yeah, while waiting for you to, to tag in. Well, all right, but I'm not sure the voice is super laggy. I think it. Well, yeah. no, your clap was was super delayed too. But I don't know. It'll be it's fine. fine. It, as long as yeah, we have to bear in mind that um, probably like if we hear a pause from Galt, that doesn't necessarily mean Galt hasn't replied to something. Um, yes. Yes. All right. Um. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so this is going to be the second half of the podcast. Uh, the first half is going to be some just PS5 impressions uh, with Gideon and Patrick. So I am going to, uh, for this scene, uh, we're going to imagine uh, that we are coming back from a, uh, a ad for goods and services that we all enjoyed. 